When you're down in the dumps, don't give up. Dopey nation, stand by and don't get high. Put on the dopey show. Put Seems so terrible. No, you know, we laugh and let it go. And life's so much better when we grow. No, you'll never be alone. Now it's time for the dopey show. This episode of Dopey is brought to you by Oro Recovery. They're located in sunny Southern California, in Malibu, and Western Los Angeles. They were created by Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Jared, and Bob. Their mission to help alcoholics and drug addicts by using compassion and connection rather than control. Their team has decades of experience in treating co-occurring mental health disorders along with addiction, including SMI. They make sure when you kick, it's comfortable. Sounds like the greatest place in the world. And it's amazing because I've talked to a bunch of people who have been there and they vouch for every word I say in this ad. So if you're fucked and you're willing to go to sunny Southern California and you're interested in amenities like surfing, sound bath, meditation, fucking equine therapy, the potentially spiritually transformative sweat lodge, you go to Oro. I can't suggest Oro enough. Check them out at ororecovery.com. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Sober Buddy. What is Sober Buddy? It's an app. But it's so much more. I say that glibly, but it's true. It's a community of addicts and alcoholics who are on the mission to get sober, to stay sober, to help other people stay sober. They do 10 Zooms a week with clinicians and other recovering alcoholics and drug addicts. I do one every Wednesday. They provide a sober tracker. They provide support. They have an app that has a sober-only feed that is supportive and informative and helpful. So if you are fucked and you need an app to help you get well, and if you're not fucked, also, check out Your Sober Buddy, YourSoberBuddy.com or Sober Buddy at the App Store or the Google Play Store. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our very good friends at Evolution Accounting and Consulting. It's tax time, everybody. Do you have an accountant or a consultant? Do you need help with your taxes, your bookkeeping, your payroll, and almost any other business need you may have? Well, Eric Gray and his cronies at Evolution Accounting and Consulting can help you. They know what they're doing. They want to make sure that you can pursue your passion so they cover all of the drudgery, the business stuff, the payroll, the taxes, all that stuff. 
Give him a chance. Eric is a good guy. He's in recovery. He was addicted to crack. He's been sober for years. And he is an amazing accountant. He is a dopey supporter. Use the promo code dopey when you contact them. It's www.evolution-accounting.com and you will get special discount. If you need an accountant, go to evolutionaccounting-consulting.com. Real quick, sign up for Dopey Patreon if you want to support the show. There's so much shit on there. I just found uh, an unreleased video of me and Ray. I, I There's a new Ask Aaron Patreon, which is very juicy. There's just so much stuff coming out. And if you want to support the show, that's the best way to support the show. Also, if you, you know, $5 level gets you into the Dopey Patreon Zoom every month. $10 level gets you the Dopey stickers. $15 level gets you the socks and also the stickers and also access to the Zoom. If you want to support the show, the show is free. If you want to support the show... Join us at www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. If you want any dopey merch, it is available at the store at dopeypodcast.com, which is SRO Prince. If you need printing done, contact sroprince.com. If you love the Grateful Dead and you want Grateful Dead clothing, check out alwaysahoot.com. All right, that's enough of the fucking ads. Here's the fucking show. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. My name is Dave. I am in downtown Manhattan with my friend and memoirist, writer, recovering woman, mother, wife, converted Jew, ex-equestrian, Aaron Carr. Welcome back. Thank you. <laughs> you don't think that's a good intro? No, it is. I just always laugh because you do really give like the best intros of any podcast host. You think so? I do. Actually, other people who've gone on your show have mentioned that to me. I'm a good introer. I think I sound so weird with these fucking aligners in. It's only in your head. I hear nothing. You want to take them out? No. Take them out on the microphone. People with mesophilioma (laughs) will love that. Mesophonia will love that. Uh, People hate sounds like that. I know. More importantly... The Dopey Foundation is underway. We just got a big box of fentanyl test strips and Narcan. If you want any, the easiest way to get me to send it to you would be to email me with your address at dopeypodcast at gmail.com. If you write it to me on Instagram or Facebook, that can really easily get lost. Yeah. It's very hard for me. My brain is not as tidy as you guys might think it is. Even if you had a tidy brain, I'm going to argue that when people message you all over the place, anytime somebody messages me, I ask them to email me because I'm not going to remember. I know, but then they don't want to email. They get angry at me for it. It's like, I really, how can I expect them to write an email when they've taken the time to message me on social media already? Well, then they're not going to get what they're asking for. Listen, if I owe you, and first of all, sign up for Patreon. Let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> sign up for Patreon. If you didn't know, Patreon is the most effective way to support this show. Yes. That you've gotten to for free. And we record some juicy stuff. Over oh, there. the last I, one. Oh, oh my I God. said I spilled the beans. Or I guess the last Patreon episode stuff. might as well have been called 
having sex with Aaron Carr. No. That might as well be <laughs> that might as well be what that last Patreon episode was. Or Aaron Carr uh on affairs. I think that's right. Aaron Carr talking about her friends having sex while they're married. Oh yeah, I was spilling the dirt on other people. Yes. Not really myself. It I mean a little ju- bit on myself, but other people. It was juicy. It was it's a pretty fucking juicy. That's episode. what I, I actually promoted patreon last week and i said a very juicy aaron carr patreon is what i said (laughs) so anyway if you want to support the show you sign up for patreon if you are a ten dollar patron and i haven't sent you stickers sent you stickers message me but not on social media email please um (laughs) all right so that's a lot oh yeah we also have this new thing Mm -hmm. on the website called the nation Oh, I haven't even seen it. And the nation on the website is fan contributions. It's art, oh, it's stories, I it's see. music, and it's really very cool. It was Look at it was that. it was put together by our intern Claire, so shout out to Claire under the watchful tutelage of Howard Beach Bucksbaum. So it's it's all happening. This is really cool. Describe oh what describe what so you see. It's basically like seeing posts uh from different people, their songs. Uh, artwork, memes, stories. Would you say it's, it's what I just described it was? Sounds like what I just described yeah, it. Yeah, I guess that maybe I wasn't really <laughs> listening because I was looking at it. It's really cool. It's a really... It's, and if you want your shit to be in the nation, send it to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. Would you like to read an email, Aaron? Sure. Here. All right. What's up, Dave? I'm surprised you didn't comment on the cleanliness of my computer. Oh, it's so dirty. <laughs> It's so, you know what? Before you leave my apartment today, I'm going, I have, I'm going to send you home with a pack of like wipes and we're going to clean this. Nice. All right. How about some more chocolate to go to? Yes. All right. Okay. What's up, Dave? My name is Grant. I'm from outside Philadelphia and own a vintage clothing and sneaker spot. Cool. I just want to tell you how much this podcast means to me on the daily. I've only been listening for about six months but I have binged most of the episodes while driving and always look forward to the new ones. That's a lot in six months. Yeah. Yourself and Chris, RIP to the homie, really set yourselves apart by just being yourselves. And I love that. Hearing the debauchery and being able to laugh at myself has been a huge factor in keeping my shit straight. I haven't got got around to using the word sobriety just because, well... I guess because I don't feel worthy since I'm still using marijuana daily and methadone maintenance, which I have been on and off since 19. My biggest issue as of late was putting down the benzos and I fucking did it. Nice. By far the hardest, most evil drug I've ever detoxed from and did it in my apartment. Had multiple seizures and brain zaps and whatnot. It was absolute hell. I can't even describe in words how scary and debilitating the withdrawal is from that. It's worse than methadone, if you ask me, and that says a lot. So long story short, I am seven months off the Zans and finally feeling better. Was in a dark place for a while. I just have to credit you guys for how much it helped me. Just hearing everyone's story. I've never got to tell mine, TBH. I'm trying to verbalize everything a bit more and not keep it so stagnant. It's wild how all that shit needs to be released from the body. We tend to keep everything so tight and bottled up. Fucking hate that shit. There is a lot more to it, but this is just a brief check-in, so I'll leave it there. Like I said, my name is Grant. I'm 36, and I own a vintage clothing and sneaker shop outside of Grant, we know you own the fucking store. (laughs) 
Keep going. Uh, It's dope, and I love what I do. I really do. Sometimes I wonder how the fuck I'm even still here. I moved to Cali and spent a lot of years in the medical marijuana industry in my younger days, lived in Tijuana for a while, and five years ago came back to good old PA and started my shop with my own collection. It's been a wild ride, to say the least. Here's a quick dopey story I just thought of that makes me laugh. Circa 2007... 2008, I was about a year on the methadone clinic for the first time and had the bright idea of using a whizinator to piss clean and receive take-homes. It worked. Do they have a women's whizinator? I, I don't even know what a fucking whizinator is. It's a fake penis for for, oh. for urine tests. Oh, It'd yeah. be funny if women used the whizinator. Right. <laughs> trying to picture it, but... <laughs> I'm sure they do. I'm sure they have some va- vagina... Vagina version, (laughs) vaginator, something. It worked too until it didn't. Ha ha. So I was using the Wizzy for about a year and had all six take-homes. It was great because I didn't have to travel so much just to get my juice. You know how it is. But for the people that don't know, working up to that point and heating up piss and filling up your piss pouch every day was a very tedious ritual. On top of that, it's gross. Yes. However, I was still getting banged up. I thought he was going to say I was still getting banged. However, I was still getting banged up, chewing up and snorting the Zans and K-pins every day. Klonopins. I thought I was pretty solid at avoiding the prying eyes that look you up and down when you get your dose at the window. On this day, though, I was mangled. Fucking mangled. I only remember getting thrown out because I lit a parliament up inside the building, shaking my head. They were baffled because I was still pissing clean. That whizinator made me feel invincible. Needless to say, I got a call back and had to bring my bottles in for them to see. This is done at random every few months. So I get prepared for the next day to strap on the old faithful whizinator and it's business as usual. So I roll up, wait in a short line, and then it's my turn to go piss. As soon as I walk in, they call back one of the male head nurses. So he accompanies me to the bathroom and it's a fucking supervised. Even the five bars I just chewed up weren't helping. I was rattled. So I whip out my whizinator and release the urine and try to act normal as this dude is watching me like a hawk. He then flicks <laughs> the tip of my whizinator. What? And I go, dude, what the fuck? And he goes, just take it off. At this point, I don't even try to lie. I then proceed to piss a scolding hot urine and lose all my take-homes and told them all the fuck off and I never went back. Wow. Horrible decision and horrible decision-making in general in those early days of addiction. Wow, haven't thought about that in years. Ha ha. Anyway, Dave, have a good day and toodles for Chris. Again, thank you for holding it down for Dopey Nation. You are a crucial tool. <laughs> I am a crucial tool. <laughs> He's not the first person to, to say many. that. <laughs> Going through the roller coaster ride of addiction. Keep them coming, brother. Thanks for reading. That was awesome, except for the part where he called me a crucial tool. <laughs> That's such a hard. I feel like that if, if you if you ever start another band, it should be called the crucial tool. Crucial tool. Yeah. Fuck. Uh, thank you, Grant. I want to check out your vintage clothing and sneaker store. He he should have given it a shout out. Yeah, well, give us the title and we'll shout you out next time. You also just won dopey socks, so congratulations. Yeah, I would I would hate it if someone touched my whizinator. It would freak me out. Right. And uh and Grant was a little bit it sounds like he was a little zannied out and Yeah. You know, I, I don't know how I would handle the situation if you have the fake dick in your hand and you but you're high and there's a supervisor in there. I you see it, it's one of the worst things that ever happened when 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 Linda found out I was shooting dope mm-hmm. when the baby was in the house. It was, you know, I've told the story many times, but she was watching The Bachelorette mm-hmm. and I and I thought she was going to bed and I was in another room, I think, watching 90210. Um, 
And uh, and I I was shooting to open the back room, and I had the needle on my lap. Mm-hmm. I was lying down. I think the needle was on my stomach, and and, and you know I was wearing clothes, whatever. Right. Um, and she came in, and she didn't see it, <gasps> but I just assumed she did. And I and I confess I like confessed immediately when she walked in, but she didn't even see it. Oh. Now. If somebody came in with me with the Wizenator, I wouldn't even try. Right. I'd be so in my head. Oh, I would. T- I mean, I, I feel like, I mean, I wouldn't. I, I'm not like that now. But back in the day, I think I would be like, what? What are you talking? I mean, I got caught with, you know, where my fiance, when I was 23, saw under the door, saw the needle drop to the ground. And then I still walked out of that bathroom, like with blood dripping down my arm, like, huh? oh, is everything okay? What's going on? Right. Because you were so deep <laughs> in the lie. I was, I was so, because I had hit, and I had successfully hit it for so long. Wow. I mean, that's what, how you accomplished your you and I did it exactly in the opposite way totally opposite I know I told everybody as often as I could and then they had to just choose not to be with me right and you kind of like got away with it I protected them and yourself (laughs) and and, I protected them because you know what they lived in like ignorant bliss for 10 years and and you lived in opiate bliss for the same 10 years well not I mean not yeah I mean I took breaks (laughs) See, I mean, listen, it's it's a miracle. It's it's a miracle it uh, that, that you're here, here that yep. you're well. It's a miracle that I'm here, that I'm well. I, I, I think it's a miracle that Dopey is helping Grant in, outside yeah. of Philadelphia. Where are you, Grant? King of Prussia, maybe? Pottstown? <laughs> you, you're just looking, looking stuff up? No, I'm connected oh. to the suburbs of Philadelphia. Oh. Newtown Square, perhaps? I- I'm not connected to the. I've only been to Philly once. Philadelphia is a great, great city. I was there last year. What? Oh, you were there for some writing yeah. thing. Yeah. Philly is like I. I always. I mean, I. I was in Philadelphia, and last time I was in Philadelphia, it was 1996, and yet I talk about Philadelphia as though I know it. And I was until I was in Philadelphia for a <laughs> week in 1996, um, or maybe it was 1995. I was in a hip hop group. <laughs> it was nineteen ninety five. I was in a hip hop group. We drove from Ithaca uh-huh. to Philly to record a demo, tripping. When we got there, I fell out of the car and vomited on the street. And then we were we recorded probably one of the worst demos ever to be recorded <laughs> in Philadelphia. <laughs> and it made sure that I never was in a hip hop group again. So that was a good accomplishment, I think. <laughs> but it was fun. But I, what I always describe Philadelphia as, nineteen in my mind, Philadelphia in 1995 was like New York in 1978. Yeah. But I've decided that Philly is still New York in 1978. No, I think it's more like New York in like 1992. <laughs> 1992. You know, our editor, dopey editor, Amelia, mm-hmm. was born in 1992. <sighs> And she is a, a very great editor. And, and I was like, that's so funny because we graduated high school in 1992. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's funny because we'll just get older and everybody else won't. Uh, so this week's show is very fun and exciting. We have this guy, Chris Spolina, who I've dubbed mm-hmm. the Jam Band Junkie. But before we get to Chris Spolina, I also wanted to mention this. I don't know why I'm going to mention this. I just figure why not. We're, it's very exciting news for the dopey world. Normally, I keep exciting news like this to myself, mm-hmm. and I don't talk about it on the show. 
but I'm trying. There's there's the possibility that a giant media company is gonna put together a a mini documentary series about Dopey, and the which is very exciting. But very. the reason I'm talking about it on the show is because I need to go through old episodes to figure out what's useful for them. Mm. And I figure some of the listeners, like maybe Grant, is <laughs> is more in touch with our old material than I am. So why don't you write an email and, and write down anything you remember about the show and with the episode number and time code and <laughs> let me know what you think could be useful in your minds for the Dopey Doc miniseries. That's you, a great idea. You think that's a good yeah. idea? So do that. And um, here's Chris Spolina. But before we get to Chris Spolina, I need to say that this episode of Dopey is brought to you by BetterHelp.com, which is an incredible organization. And I want to ask you guys, when do you feel like your best self? I love, I love and hate that phrase at the same time living your best life, being your best self, but it certainly is better to be your best self than your worst self. And I know what it is to be my worst self. And I know what it is to be my best self. My best self comes when I'm in touch with what's happening and I'm okay with what's happening. And one of the easiest ways for me to feel like my best self is to communicate and working with a therapist gets me closer to the best version of myself because I feel empowered and I feel more prepared to take on everything life throws at me. I've benefited from th therapy both online and in person, and if you're interested in online therapy, BetterHelp is an amazing option. It's convenient, it's flexible, it's affordable, and it's entirely online. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and you get matched with a licensed therapist. And if you're worried that you're going to get matched up with somebody that you don't like, don't worry. You can switch at any time for no additional charge. If you want to live a more empowered life, BetterHelp can help get you there. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DopeyPodcast and save 10% off today. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash DopeyPodcast. Check it out and live your best life today. And our guest is this uh, crazy junkie. Who's, who's, you know, serves some time and comes from the jam band community, but he also comes from an organization called the Phoenix. I met up with these guys when I was at Park City. They are a free nonprofit foundation that helps addicts and alcoholics have fun. It's a pretty incredible organization. I just met someone who was talking about the Phoenix and he was like, oh yeah, are those the guys that just set up free things for addicts and alcoholics in recovery to do to have fun? And it's like, yeah, and that's what they're all about. Fun activities, stuff that brings all of us together to make positive connections. That's what the Phoenix is about. Go to thephoenix.org slash movement. Find something nearby. I'm about to go to these CrossFit classes with Chris Spolina uh, and, and, and get in shape and engage with the Phoenix. Also, we're going to do an event with the Phoenix, a music event, maybe in New York, maybe in New Orleans. I don't know. I, I think that the Dopey Nation and the Phoenix is a uh, an incredible potential alignment because we're about the same thing, which is addicts and alcoholics in recovery having fun. So go to thephoenix.org and, uh, and, and get involved with the Phoenix. 
And now, finally, without further ado, here's Chris Spilina at my dad's. All right, so we're sitting. We never record in my childhood bedroom. We're recording in my childhood bedroom where my dad's office is now. I'm here with Chris Spilina. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be here. He runs New Jersey for the Phoenix, which is like a recovery fitness app. And and he's pretty ripped up. I want to know, when did you get in shape in the first place? Dude, uh, Have you always been in shape? No, no, not at all. Not at all. I originally got back in shape in like 2013. I'll get into that a little bit later to tell you. In prison. And then I relapsed and stuff. And now just in the past year or so, I got back into fitness. Because I, I mean, I heard a little bit about your story and I, I'm imagining that you were not a fit hippie. No, definitely not. I was a Birkenstock wearing patchouli smelling hippie. Nice. And when is the first time you did drugs? The first time I did any drugs. All right. So I, when I was in eighth grade going into freshman year of high school, I was the kid. My brother was like a sports star. So I was the kid that was like, I'm never going to do drugs. I'm never going to smoke weed, any of that stuff. And one of my other friends who turned out to be just as much of a degenerate as me left his like homemade pot pipe at my house. It was made out of a cigar tube. And like they smoked in it for like weeks and there was all kinds of resin in there. And uh, I was just sitting in my, my bedroom one night and I was like, let me try this. And it just like got whacked off of like shitty ass swag weed in, in the resin. 90s. Yes. And that was it. How old were you? Uh, 13, 14, somewhere around there. And was it like love at first toke? Yeah. I felt like I was like in a movie and I was like, well, everybody has said how bad this was. And I tried it and I loved it. I was like, so it must be bullshit that every other drug is bad too, right? How long did it take you to find out? Find out that all drugs were bad? Yeah. Um, let's see, probably 20 years. Right. <laughs> 15 years. Right. So like when, when did you start smoking weed every day? Very shortly thereafter. Like probably that was, that was, I was a freshman. By the time I was like a sophomore in high school, I started listening to Grateful Dead and Fish and just smoking pot. I quit all like organized team sports and like all the things that are supposed to keep us in line in high school and just started surfing and listening to music and smoking weed. And how old are you? I'm going to turn 40 on February 1st. Okay. So you're, you're a little bit younger than me, but like, isn't it interesting how like the Northeast hippie culture is such a thing, right? Like that the grateful dead. I mean, you were 14 in what year? What year were you born? I was, I was 12 when Jerry died in 95. So, right. So you're, but the, the dead scene at that point in New Jersey was major league lit how does that even happen <laughs> do you have any idea i don't i don't know what it is maybe it's like i think it probably was always that way on the west coast and because you know our culture here is so like rigid and not counterculture-ish it's kind of like we've seen something different and we're like those of us who are open to it just went fully in on it because it was like not, like a vacation yeah it was like not fast moving new york city not like you know, suit and tie, stockbrokers, all the things that we see and just run with it. And all the preppies from the Northeast became these stoner fleece wearing deadhead types. Pretty much. And played hacky sack and all those things. Yeah. When's the first time you did psychedelics? First. So I guess I'm going to consider ecstasy my first like psychedelic experience. I guess that falls in that. I was 16. I was going to a a sweet 16 party. Nice. Someone, remember Green Shamrocks? I don't. There were, it sounds there were pills called Green Shamrocks, and I was like, "Well, okay, I'll try this." And I was whacked. I remember like my jaw clenching all night, and just like feeling like 
happy and just like different. And like I had, I was walking around the Sweet Sixteen. I must look like a total fucking weirdo with like a glow stick, and like fancy Sweet Sixteen dress, and like parents and family. And I'm walking around with like a glow stick in my hand, like nothing is different. You're like I'm supposed to be at a rave. Yeah. When totally. is that happening? Totally. So how does it escalate? What was the escalation like? I mean, it was pretty. It was pretty fast. I, like like you said, the culture of of the you know fish and Grateful Dead lot where it's just like everything goes and everything is acceptable for me and, and I just kind of like fell into that right away you know like I said when I tried pot and I had always heard like how bad it was and then I was like well I tried it and it wasn't that bad for me then I got into all this music and like kind of did a deep dive into like the Merry Pranksters history and Ken Kesey and all of that stuff and I was like well I definitely have to try acid and after I tried ecstasy because it was the the easiest first thing for me to do next time I went to see fish it was 1999 Bought a whole bunch of ass and ate it all. And it was hold like, up, hold up, hold up. When was the first time you saw fish? 1999. And where was it? At the PNC Bank Art Center in, in Holmdel. I had been to one show before that. It was Phil Lesh and Friends with Bob Dylan and Derek Trucks. Derek Trucks was like 16 at the time. And I went with my dad. Who was Derek Trucks playing with? Phil and Friends. Phil Lesh He and was Friends. the guitar player in Phil and yep. Friends. How was that show? Amazing. Who sang? Amazing. Uh, it was at that time it was, who's the guy with the long gray hair that was in the aquarium rescue unit? Jimmy Herring. Okay. Yeah. It was Jimmy Herring and Derek trucks on a slide guitar and Phil sang on broken chain and Bob Dylan played too. So Bob Dylan came out and guested with him. I was there with my dad. What Dylan song did they do? (sighs) All along the watchtower. And, uh, and Derek trucks ripped it up on all ripped it up. I don't remember what else was played there, but I was there with my father. And I was sober, and I remember like this was my first like introduction to like true Grateful Dead because I went there to see Bob Dylan. I didn't even know Phil Lesh and friends, and we were walking around the parking lot with my dad, and it was like, "Who's selling you know farmies? Who's selling doses? Who's selling weed?" That's what your dad said. No, we were just walking and like hearing it. <laughs> your neither, dad's like, "Who's got my farmies?" Nobody knew any like neither of us knew what what the fuck was going on. Right. And then I remember going home, and my dad was telling my mom like laughing about it like. Yeah, remember buttons from the 60s? I guess that's what they used to call mushrooms. He's like, yeah, someone's trying to sell mushrooms. I'm like, wow, this was pretty whacked out. And then I was like, this is cool. I got to go to one of these shows without my dad. Hold on. What did your dad make of it? I mean, since he was there with me, like he's he's always been a big music fan. So like we had a good time, but he definitely he definitely was against all use of narcotics. And like somebody tried to pass him a joint and he was like, made a face. and was like, no, no, I don't smoke that shit. And then there was another funny thing. He was smoking a cigar like a regular old like Cohiba or something. Uh-huh. And the security guards came up to him and was like, you got to put that out. And he was like, get <laughs> fucked. He's like, go tell all those people to put their joints out and I'll put this out. But, but besides that, like it was a cool experience. We had a great time. And then like, I guess I just saw the whole like shakedown parking lot scene as different than he did because I wanted more of it. And he was just like, eh, cool. I have, I have way more questions. I'm sorry. I, I liked, I like this story for some reason. Did your dad, your dad knew what was happening. Did he see you? We were walking right next to each other. You're how old? Um, 14. 15, I'm 14 sure if your dad had a time machine, he would want to go back to that moment in time. Yeah. And not take me down that parking lot. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, for and sure. he, did he know about buttons? Was that a thing? Well, I mean, him growing, my dad was pretty straight his whole life. He's not a guy that, you know, experimented or anything like that. But, uh, like, he knew what they were from growing up in the 60s. I feel like buttons were peyote. I think so, too. But mushrooms do look like little buttons. Yeah, so I think that might have been his yeah. thing. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. somebody said shrooms, and he brought it home to my mom. was like, there's some buttons. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. And how was Dylan? Dylan's was was horrible. Yeah, yeah, horrible. He sounded like he was on helium, and somebody was had to like hold him up the whole show. 
Dylan is like my number one dream dopey guest. I think he's using. Yo, you know, yeah. I know Dylan listens to Dopey, so Bob, I'm sorry if you're listening. Uh, I think he's probably using. I love him, and uh, I just want him to do a show with a guitar and sing the tunes. Yeah, just one time. Just give yeah. us a break. Yeah, that would Bobby, be- if you're listening, just give us a break, man. Dude, Please. Do you, Do you remember? Here's something else I remember from back then. Like very shortly thereafter, I live in New Jersey, and Bob Dylan got arrested in Long Branch, New Jersey, walking around like. He was doing. He was innocently walking around looking at real estate, like he was going to buy a property or something like that. But the cops didn't know who he was and picked him up and locked him up for like being a peeping tom or something. Shut like that. up! Yeah, I, oh like my they God. they straightened it all out once they got to the police station and realized like, oh, the Bob Dylan. But like, if they get me up in the newspaper, like Bob Dylan arrested for like prowling around properties. I'm like, what? That's horrible. <laughs> that I mean, oh my God, Bob Dylan is like, oh, I I mean, my love for Bob Dylan cannot be. Legend. You know, but he's so horrible. So horrible. it's like you go see him. It's so horrible. So bad. Every time. So bad. all right. So and you fall in love with fish. When do you fall in love with fish? So I think what happened was because of like that transition from after Jerry died and then was Phil and Friends and Rat Dog and stuff. And and they did a lot of West Coast stuff. But fish was just more accessible to, to me in the Northeast here. And I saw my first show, like I said, in 99. And uh, man, I got I, dude, I got so spun out. I didn't even know that they were playing two sets, right? Like, I ate all this acid and, like, was sitting on the lawn and, like, the first set ended and I started, like, freaking out. Like, well, I got to figure out a way home and, like, left before the second set. And, like, my buddies were calling me up later on. They're like, why'd you leave? I'm like, bro, I thought it was over. How did you get home? I could call a friend, like, an older friend that had a car and was like, yo, can you pick me up? And, and like, I had, and then, like, I realized that on the way home that the show wasn't over. So I had to have this guy drop me off like a few blocks from my house because I didn't want to walk into my mom's house on like a 10 strip like an hour earlier than I was supposed to and be questioned on why I was home so early. I never took 10 hits at once. It was so much. I think the most I ever took was like four and a half. It was way too much. It was way too much. Did you ever do more than 10? I mean, not at one time, but I think like throughout a whole night. Right. So when you take the 10, right, had you had a lot of experience with LSD? Not much. So like around that time, like there's also a difference, Dave, I think you'll know this. Like there's a difference between like what we got in like the city in the late nineties was like the gel tabs. I never got a gel tab. So there was like those gel tabs that were green and purple gel tabs. And then like what was on fish lot was like really clean, like family fluff or whatever. So it was like a totally different experience. So I had had experience with gel tabs before. And then, like, when I got out on fish lot and, and tried, like, the clean, like, What, what real did the water, clean stuff look like? It was just white, like, looked like white watercolor paper. Yeah, well, I, I, that, I, I did more. I never did a gel tab. Yeah, it um, was shitty. It was like this swag of LSD. It was yeah. It like, gave you a headache, and you woke up, and your back was cracking and stuff. Yeah, the strict nine Ugh, classic. So bad. So what happens then? So that was, that was the summer of 99. Like, then it became, like setting dates to go to other fish shows and like that was the thing that i looked forward to so that was july of 99 and then like right as soon as they announced the fall tour i'm like all right i gotta make plans i don't have a driver's license or anything at this point so it's kind of a little bit harder but they were playing in philly at the spectrum which is probably my favorite place ever to see a show the old philly spectrum it was 12 11 99 that was the next trip that that we went to a fish show and then once 2000 happened they went on hiatus after 2000 so that's when I got back into 
drink cheese. Is that incident. when Trey got clean? No, this is way before Trey got Trey got clean around two thousand five. I I can tell you about that too. About like Coventry, what a what a mess that was. That's when Trey was still using. A mess? Last, how? Like they were like he was like crying on stage and like visibly intoxicated. It was it was bad. It was sad. And that was supposed to be like the last fish show ever. All right, I want to know about like, your your escalation in this period. Yeah. So like that's that's what happened. Like I, that was ninety nine. I went to two shows, and then that just became like my my personality. It was like I'm gonna go to all these jam band shows and festivals, and like that's just what I did. I started wearing tie dye shirts and going. Was it the music? Was it the scene? Was it the drugs? Was it the women? What was it? Oh, uh, it was definitely not the women. For sure, <laughs> it definitely was not the women. Yeah. It was the it was. I love the hippie girls, man. I, I to him, yeah, yeah, they're the fun to hang girl. with for sure. Yeah. Um, no, I was like, I love them. Like, I was totally enamored you know, with the hippie you, girls. You know, it was weird for me. Like, I was too, but I also was like, would go to these shows and like hang out. But like, all the girlfriends I had were like way higher class, like out of my range, like income range. You know, like nice, clean, like nice, nice Jewish girls from right, from Dick's Hills. Or yeah, not not these hippie. But but anyway, like. Yeah, it was more, I think, the culture of just, like, openness. It was just, I went to Catholic school my whole life, so right. it was, like, this rigid structure. My family was great, but they were also, like, rigid. Like, my dad was, like, drove to Long Island every day for work, and that was his thing, is just to work. And we did everything right. My brother was, like, clean-cut sports star. He ended up being a cop. So it was, like, the exact opposite of all that, and I just think it just gravitated towards it. And as you're doing it, like, what drugs are, like, starting to become your favorite? Probably up until up until 2002 or 2003 was mainly psychedelics and marijuana, like mainly like mushrooms, LSD and marijuana. And then like 2002, 2003 came when Purdue Pharma decided to fuck us all and start putting all those Oxy 80s and stuff out on the street. Oxy 80s. Green monsters. That so, was so how did you stumble into that? Just like I had, a, we had a couple of friends that got prescriptions for it for some reason that they were completely unnecessary for them at the time. But it was just like a thing that we, when we, when we were not going to shows and having all these other drugs and, Oh, actually here's, here's exactly how it started. When I was 18, I got arrested and I was on probation. Hold on. What'd you get arrested? For? I got arrested for having one pill in my pocket. A I pill of what? A pill of a Roxy. Well, when's the first time you took a Roxy? Break that down. The first time I took one. I remember like taking. You have no idea. I don't. I have zero idea. What, I can remember like the first couple of instances of like going in somebody else's medicine cabinet and taking their Tylenol with codeine or like Percocet, but actually a Roxy. I don't really recall. Do you remember like? Because I know that like you know I I fell in love with weed. I started taking psychedelics soon after. I remember it was. I don't remember well, but I was a freshman in college. There was some girl who had really good acid. Like, the, she had great acid. And, like, it was... She was from Hawaii. And the acid was painted in this psychedelic pattern. And she was a weird girl, right? And she was beautiful. Like, I wish I had known her better. And uh, she, like, gave us some doses, right? And we went out on this crazy adventure. And then I went back to her, and she started giving me pills. And I started taking pills here and there. I didn't know what they were. And then, and then later... I took pills whenever I could sort of get them here and there in college. And then I became totally addicted to benzos when I was doing heroin. But pills weren't a big deal to me until I became really addicted to benzos. For you, like, what was the first pill thing? Yeah, the first pill thing was, was like, 
just general Percocets and Vicodin and stuff like that. In high school? In, in late high school, first year of college. Where'd you go to college? Monmouth University. Okay, so still Jersey. Still Jersey, yeah. So that's what it was, like started with that. But then when the, back then, those Roxy's were five bucks. I think you know? you're the strongest Jersey guest we've ever had. You're pure Jersey. You <laughs> yeah. still live in Jersey. I still live in Jersey. Came up in Jersey. Yeah, man. All right, yeah. keep yeah. going. I'm with you. Yeah. So, My dad, you know, I hate Canadians. My dad just hates people from New Jersey. <laughs> he does. He's like. That's all right. We don't like anybody else anyway. Good. Continue. Yeah. Yeah, um, but that's what it was. It's just like the in-between thing. I was 18. I was a freshman in college. I got pulled over. I don't know. Like, I don't exactly know how it happened. Apparently, I cut some guy off that was like an off-duty cop, and oh, he boy. followed me into the Taco Bell, and like I had a pill like I had a pill in my hand or some shit, and he saw it. It was <laughs> the most ridiculous, dumb shit. There's no way this should happen. I should have just popped it in my mouth. Whatever. First time I got arrested, they, they let me go, obviously. Like the next day, I remember calling my dad and saying I needed help. It's the first time I had any experience with going to like treatment, but I got sentenced to probation. And then when you're on probation, you get drug tested once a month, and smoking pot stays in your system for 30 days, but pills stay in your system for 48 hours, maybe 72 hours. So that was my brilliant idea. I was like, well, I could get high on these pills and pass my drug tests all the time. I think it's really interesting. It's like you're just a kid, mm-hmm. you get busted with a pill, then you're getting tested. So your whole kind of existence is, I have to pass this drug test. Right. And all of a sudden, drugs like become the center of your life. Who knows if it would have anyway, but you know that that kind of testing sure. creates this weird pressure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you, you do you stop smoking weed for yeah, the testing? Yeah, I stop smoking weed. I stop smoking weed, and I start smoking cigarettes. I didn't smoke a cigarette until I was 20 years old. Imagine I don't think that. I did either. Yeah, that's crazy. But yeah, so I stopped smoking weed entirely. I was just drinking and like taking these pills. That was my like fun. And then, you know, after a few months of like being able to get away with that using and then getting cleaner for my drug test, then it got to the point where I was like totally fucking hooked and couldn't do shit. Do you remember falling in love with opiates? I do. I do. I I have a quick story to tell you in between that, though. So like when that first happened, when I the night I got arrested and went to court, I, I still had not gone to court yet. Called my dad. I said I needed help. He set me up. He was very kind understanding no problem let's do it thanks for telling me so i like made a real attempt to stay clean right for for at least like a few weeks a couple of weeks after that happened it was my buddy's 21st birthday he's like we're gonna go to atlantic city i'm like cool let's roll went to atlantic city get to the hotel room they're all like blowing lines smoking joints and stuff i'm like i'm gonna go downstairs because i don't want to be around this i was really trying to stay clean and you're, I, you're like 20? I was 21. I just turned 21. And you're like, sobriety is on your on your agenda. Yes. That's interesting. Right. Fun part. This is probably like the fun part that I can highlight is like a cool part of my druggies career. I go down into the casino and I'm playing while they're upstairs getting fucked up. I get dealt a royal flush on the Caribbean stud table and I want a $130,000 jackpot. Shut the fuck up. Swear to God. Shut the fuck Swear up. Swear to God. You want a hundred and thirty? So what happens? So what happens in the casino? I was really like, I was six months after being 21. So you got I, a royal, f- just tell us more. So I go downstairs, I'm by myself. Wait, what casino is this? This was at the Sands. Okay. It's not there anymore. In, in Atlantic City. In Atlantic City. So I'm playing Caribbean stud poker. It's $5 a hand. Have you been doing that? Is that something you do? Not re- not often. I've been down there once or twice before then. So, um, But the reason I'm down there is because I just didn't want to be in the hotel room when everyone else getting high. Like that should have been my... Like, incredible. Wow, this is the direction. God's right? will. Right. <laughs> incredible. So like I like they take you into the cage where they they offer you like, do you want cash or do you want a check? I'm like, 
I'm not taking hold it. Hold on, hold on. I want to hear about you're at the table. At the table. They're dealing you the cards. Yeah. Tell me how they, they come into your hand. So they deal me one hand. Because I don't think Dude, I'll, ever, I'll se- never hear this story This was the second hand. This is my second hand. They deal one hand. I don't remember if I won or I lost the first hand. There was a dealer shift. A new dealer came in. They brought a new deck of cards. They shuffled the deck of cards. This is what makes it so incredible because when they take a new deck, they shuffle the balls off of it, right? And then they put it in the machine. They shuffle it again. New dealer comes in, shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. They deal the cards out. I flip over. I see like a bunch of black cards. It was all spades. I'm like, cool, I got a flush. I'm just going to play. I didn't even realize it until a dealer flipped it over that I had the Royal. And he flipped it over and they shut the table down and it took about 20 minutes. They had to... They, they had to take my driver's license and verify everything. Well, when they shut the table down, are they like scared that you got the? Is it? It must be like a supernatural experience in a casino. How often does that happen? I have no clue. It I've never experienced anyone else doing it. I never heard that before. Yeah, I've never experienced. Okay, so else they doing. take you to the cage. They take me after they shut the table down. Like they paid everyone else, and we're like, "You gotta go. This is gonna take a few minutes." So they walk me over to the cage. They verify my license, all that stuff. I'm in the back of the casino cage. My buddy Mike. I asked him, like, call my mom and tell him, tell her what's happening. And he calls her up. It's like 1230 at night. He, hey, Mrs. Spleen, Chris told me to call you. He's in the casino cage. She's like, stop fucking around. She hung up on him. So, like, I waited. Once I got out of there, I called her and told her what happened. But before that, like, they wheeled out a cart full of bills. And they're like, do you want cash or a check? I'm like, I definitely don't want, you know, you got to pay the taxes right there. So after 132, it came out to, like, 92 or 93,000. Like, definitely not taking cash so they cut Imagine me a check if you took the cash yeah i cut I, I didn't know what to do my dad told me he's like take the check i'll be down there in an hour and a half he jumped in a cab and came down and uh like you must have a really good relationship with your parents i do i do i don't think i don't i i don't know what i would have done in that situation yeah i i like i said the only thing i think that was like a saving grace there was like i told you i was totally sober Right? If I had, like, you know, blown a flu lines before, had a few drinks, I think it could have went totally different. So you put the check in the bank. Right. And, I mean, like, this has to be, like, I don't know, to this day, I think that would be the experience that defined my life. You know what I'm saying? But <laughs> that's so, a positive experience that defined my life, but there's lots of other shit that I think. Right. No, that's, yeah. it's really fascinating. So how does the $92,000 or whatever it was impact you? Thankfully, like it really didn't impact me too much because my my uncle's a financial advisor. They opened a brokerage account for me and like really managed it for me instead of letting me blow it. Although I did buy a new car. I bought a brand new Infiniti QX4 at the time. It was like the Infiniti style of Pathfinder. So fast forward a few months, like I got, I was in that like celebration mode still. I I had gone back to drinking and and using it again. Got totally wasted. Like this car still had the temporary plates on it. And uh, I, I ended up like, Get in a fight with my girlfriend at the time or something, and it was wet out. And I was like, did one of those things where you like spin the wheel and try to like skid your tires out. Drove this brand new Infinity QX4 into a lake. Oh God! Like into the lake, it started sinking and shit. I had to like James Bond out the window and stuff. No way. Yeah, it was bad. Like I could have. You died. were submerged. I got out right before the whole car got submerged. Out the window. Out the window. Incredible. I don't know how it happened either because the car stalled when it hit the water, right? But I kept on like trying to start it and wasn't starting. And somehow like. How fucked up were you? I was wasted. And, and yeah. so that's the I end blew of, a point two eight in the breathalyzer. That's the end of the car. Right. So I figured somehow I figured out to turn the key halfway and get just the electric to turn on so I could roll the window down. And I got out the car. These are two pretty fucking crazy stories. Monumental. Chris. So Monumental. so so when do the drugs start creeping back in big time? At, during this like right at, during that process, like after the 
crashed the car, bought another car, just kind of dove deep into to drug use at that time. This and the is, money's just sitting though. The money's sitting there. I mean, it paid for the lawyers and shit, paid for the car, paid for like whatever court fees I had. I was in college, I wasn't working, so kind of like right, floated right, right. me for a little while. But it was never like the big payout. It's not right. what it would have been now, no. So you were saying that in that period, you found yourself addicted to opiates. Opiates. How do you know? I mean, because I couldn't go, I couldn't wake up the next day without using. You know, when, when you start, when you, see the thing What I think you'll understand this with pills is like, we didn't know that they were going to, well, maybe we knew, but because it was like the doctor gave it to you, it can't be that bad, right? It's not heroin. But like right at the first time I remember being like totally dope sick, I was like, wow, like I got to get high to keep going to, to just, just to function. What was the pill that, you, what was your pill? Those oxy 80s. The 80s? Yeah. I feel like were those like I never did oxys. Yeah. Like I never I, I just wasn't in my world. How come I hear about oxy 30s all the time? How common were oxy 80s? For a while they were pretty common. From like 2002 to 2005 maybe they're pretty easy to get. And how like common were they in dead tour jam band world whatever? Mm, not not as common, but like we had them, you know, like I would bring my own. It was crazy cuz in New Jersey they were like 25 bucks for an 80. But if you went to like Boston or on Dead Tour, it was a dollar a milligram. Right. right. So where were you getting them from? I had a bunch of degenerative friends who somehow worked their way into doctors giving them a script for, for no good reason whatsoever. But And when did you start selling? I never really started selling oxys. Like I started around that time, 2003, 2004, to like fund my my own drug use and to fund my like trying to go to all these concerts. I started selling other drugs on, on fish tour. Like lot. what? LSD. Um, ketamine was a big one. Whenever we had like Xanax or, or pharmaceuticals like that, I would, would do that. Like so, larger scale marijuana sales, like pound or more. So like break it down. Like what is it like to be a dealer in fish tour? I so like, I can't say like I was like a big time dealer at all. I was really like, Selling enough so that I could get my own drugs and maybe pay for a ticket. So it wasn't like... So you'd have like a handful of pills or something. Yeah, some of these guys. I mean, there's there's people like... I know people that went to a music festival, brought a kilo of cocaine and sold it all in grams and left there with like 70 grand in cash. Like that's big time and, and they didn't get in trouble for it. For me, it was just like a little bit here and there. While I was in college, I, I like was kind of like the connector, like... I know this guy that has pounds. This guy needs pounds. Like, let me make a few bucks off that. Kind of like kept myself out of it, but made a few bucks that way. But on 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 the fish tour a lot, it was kind of just like make a few bucks before the show and then just like have fun for the rest of the night. Pay for my night out, basically. It wasn't like, wasn't getting rich. Totally. And, but when does it become like a, a, a serious problem? Like when does it start running your life? So fast forward, I, I'll go past... This is not going to be up until about 2013. So like after Coventry happened, Fish had their last show ever, right? And we Coventry to, was was Trey's bottom. I would I can't speak to that, but I would say so. It's the lowest I've ever seen him. They were breaking up because Trey was was hooked on all kinds of drugs and just couldn't survive. He didn't want to die like Jerry did, basically. So then that's like 2004, 2005. He didn't have the same ice cream habit that Jerry had. He did not. Or, or cigarette habit. Yeah, no. No, dude, I, I know somebody that knew Jerry a little bit. And he told me like during that period where Jerry got healthy and like Menasha was like packing him salads for lunch, 
So like in his cooler, you would lift up the salad and there would be three Budweiser's and like a greasy ass beef sandwich in there. Right, right. Like just never. never. Jerry just did not want to stop no, with that. No, no, not God at all. God bless him. Not at all. But yeah, so like 2005, I think was the year that Trey finally got sober. And like well, after Coventry, I just kind of like went in. The pills got harder and harder to get. And that's when I started using heroin because it was cheaper. Where'd you get it from? Newark. New Jersey. Wow. Yeah. Newark so, is a fucking disaster, right? Dude, so easy. Like, you just go up there at certain areas. How do New Jersey people say Newark? Artie said it in a different way. You'd say he had some kind of. Some people say Nork. Nork. Yeah. That's I think you have said. to, like, be from Newark. <laughs> yeah. I think you have to be from Newark. Right. To say I think Jersey way. Jerry said Nork, too. Yeah, yeah. Nork. That's serious, serious New Jersey business. But yeah, that's like, so between like 2005 and. 2013 that was like a daily thing like drive up to newark or whatever do you remember the shift from pills to heroin do you, what was the mindset the mindset was like these pills an oxy 80 was now like 40 or 50 dollars and i like needed more than one a day and like heroin was five dollars a bag and i needed like i could spend 15 or 20 dollars a day at the time and not be sick was there any fear no, not at all. Because you were already totally submerged. Totally submerged. I didn't start off using needles at first. I was snorting. You know, that was a natural progression. But that was until like maybe 2006 or 2007 when I first tried IV. And it was like... Where were you? Who were you with? And what were you shooting? I was with a friend. The same guy whose birthday it was that I was in Atlantic City when I won that money. And, uh, and he was using it. And he's like, bro, you're basically wasting that. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like... Here's try this, try this. He's like, trust me. And uh, it was the oxys. No, it was a bag of heroin, and like, the difference between snorting it and injecting was like night and day. Like, as soon I, as that happened, I was done. I it was it. Like, when I when I used to snort heroin. Like I don't think like when I first shot it, I didn't get higher, but it hits you differently. Yeah. And like I think I was snorting so much, and then when you shoot it, you just don't have to shoot nearly as much. And then it's, but then it's just the shot itself. Yeah, the whole ritual of it. You and ever the, see Basketball Diaries? He talks about the rituals, like the whole thing. But it's also just the immediacy. But I mean, like, I don't know. Like, when I hear about people snorting it versus people shooting it, you know that the people snorting it are getting fucking fucked anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? They pretend like they're not getting as fucked up. It just doesn't hit as quickly or as thoroughly. Right. But if you're if you're really addicted and you're snorting, it's pretty much the fucking same. Yeah, thing. especially if, like, you're doing a whole bunch of it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, so you start shooting. At what point, you see, are you just so in it that you're not like, I'm fucked? Yeah. Uh, yes and no. Like I can remember, like there was there was a few there was a few things that popped up. Like I I one time like got in a fight with my family because they knew without a question. Like I was caught. I was high. Like I had drugs in the house, and you know even being like caught red-handed, just denied it and all that. I was like, "Fuck this! I'm out of here!" And like ran out of the house. And like who caught you red-handed? My mom, my mom, and my dad, my brother too. Like it was all with needles. Yeah. Tell me, tell me the first time your parents caught you with a needle. Uh, Sure, that's tattooed on their brain. It's probably more tattooed on their brain. There's been so many times that I really can't even honestly remember. I remember this one instance because there's so much that went along with it. Like they they caught they found empty bags and needles in my room, and I kind of just denied it. I was like, oh, it's somebody else's, whatever. But like they weren't they weren't stupid. So then I like played this whole game, like fuck this, I'm out of here. You don't believe in me, and I like went up the street to I called my buddy, said like pick me up at this deli. I went up the street. I went into this deli. I like totally nodded out at this, de- like waiting for my buddy to pick me up. And 
apparently, I don't know this to be true, but the police report at least says this, that like while I was sitting there, a needle fell out of my back pocket. So the guy in the deli called the cops, which I call bullshit on, but I'm glad it all happened. He got arrested. The cop came in. And you don't think you had needles falling out of your pockets? No, I don't think it just randomly fell out of my pocket. That's the kind of shit that would happen to me. Yeah. I swear to God, like I was such, I'm, I'm such a mess. Like I had no business using needles. No. I'm just too much of a mess. No, to, like I like meticulous no. people with their little case <laughs> yeah. and shit. No, that wasn't me either. I was a fucking <laughs> disaster area. I, I can remember one time, like I I was I was on a construction site and I had to like sign something, and I went to go in my pocket to pull out a pen and I pulled out the rig instead. I was like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, to- totally. But like so, like to the cop came when the cop came, he was like, oh the the deli guy said that you dropped a needle on the floor. Then when the police report comes, the police report says like, when I asked, when he asked for my ID and I took my ID out of my pocket, the needle fell in my pocket. There's too many things. That did. Whatever. I got arrested. And then that's the first time I actually went to treatment per se. Like I wasn't outpatient before. Where'd you go? The place. I forget. It was called Transitions. Okay. It was in Aventura, Florida, which okay. is like Miami. Yeah. It was like, go to detox. And this is like the beginning of the shady shit that happened in the treatment industry. Go to treat. My parents had to cash pay for all this. Went to detox. After detox, I went to this place and it was basically like, go to, this is a root of my, what you asked me earlier if I go to 12-step meetings. I do not go to 12-step meetings now and this is part of it. Once you got to the treatment centers, wake up, eat breakfast, get in a van and they take you to like three 12-step meetings throughout Miami. In the middle of summer when you could still smoke cigarettes in church basements, come back and eat lunch. Maybe if you were lucky, meet with your counselor. Then you go back out for three more 12 step meetings and then come back and eat dinner. They shove it down your throat. Seven meetings a day for 28 days. Seven meetings a day. And like, think like my parents made like $30,000 for somebody to shuttle me around to go to free meetings. Right. I'm like, what kind of farce is this? That's classic. Yeah. So like, I remember like at the end of that, I I can remember it and and like, I regret it, but I also don't regret it because I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. But I can remember being in one of these meetings and one of the old timers being like, if you want what we have, this is what you have to do to get it. I was like, bro, I don't want anything that you have. Right. Like this is mis- I can be miserable and get high. I don't have to be miserable and put all this work in to stay sober. Well, you weren't ready. No, not at all. You know, I think it's it's funny because it's like when I was in second grade, my mother packed me a, a turkey sandwich on rye bread with mayonnaise every day. And by the end of the year, I was like, I never want to fucking see turkey again. Sure. You know, and it's like I think it's like that. I think when and and, and you weren't ready. Like did you want to be clean not when you all. were down there? Not at all. And it's I just like, wanted to not when I, I wanted to be able to go to court and be like I went to treatment. I feel like that's a big mistake that treatment makes in yeah. general. It's like you should not force. And maybe I'm wrong. I know that in my in my world when I was in treatment and they would take us to meetings, I like going and looking at girls. I like not being in treatment. I liked being elsewhere. But when I heard any dogma about anything, I was like, "Fuck you! Mm-hmm. I don't want to hear about it." I want to, but I also wanted to stay high. Right. I didn't really want to get sober. Right. You know, did you, when you went to treatment in Aventura, did you want to get sober? No, not at all. Like I said, the whole, my whole purpose of being there was to satisfy my family and to have a letter to bring to court with me that said I went to treatment. And how soon after did you uh, relapse? Oh, instantly. Did I, you use in Florida? I did not use in Florida just because I didn't know how to, but like I flew back to Newark and as soon as I got to Newark, I, I did. What did you get? Heroin. So you got heroin straight off the plane. Right off the plane. Yeah. Right. How long were you down there for? I guess detox for ten days and then twenty eight days of treatment. See, that's that's wild because like in that period, how bad was your habit when you went down there? I mean, 
couple not 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 anywhere near as bad as it was later on. A couple bags a day. But I was physically addicted, dependent. It's so exciting. Like that you know you're gonna get to use again. Yeah. You know, like Dude, I had called my guy from Florida. I mean, like, I'm gonna be home right. two days. Right. Like, can you meet me here and here? Right. Like he already planned. How soon was he there? Was he prompt? He was waiting for me. Yeah. Wow. Prompt, which is never true, right? No. Never true. <laughs> yeah. But he's like, yeah, I haven't seen me for 30 days. He's like, I gotta get this one Do back. Do you like hug him when you see him? Yeah. <laughs> it's like your yeah. best friend. Yeah. yeah. That's my favorite. These ridiculous relationships that we wind up in. And they're real. Yeah. You know what they're I mean? They're real. Yeah, they're real. They're real while yeah. they last. So uh, what are the new bottoms after that? <sighs> so there's like a bunch of stuff that'll go in between, but I think- just for time's sake, I'll, I'll fast forward a little bit and put it all together. So like between then, that's 2005 or 2006. That's right after I graduated college. I graduated with a 3.0, so I did okay. Right, you don't need to get braggy over here. Yeah. I'm just uh, yeah. kidding. <laughs> uh, what, yeah. what, did you, what kind of degree? Communication studies was my major. Yes. Basically because I just wanted to figure out what was going to be the least amount of work for me at the time. Uh-huh. And I did a business minor too. That was That's what I have found helpful later on. But um, my dad. I studied to, art history. My dad used to say I had a BS and BS. Nice. You have a man, a PhD in BS. Yeah. So like that between then and 2011, I think will be the next like monumental thing. I was at. I, I started using again. I kept using. There was a few times I went into treatment. In between. When you get back mm-hmm. and you score, are you just like using? Yeah. It's right, done right away. Yeah. And you use hiding it a little better, but still using. But right you away. used every day for years. Many years. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, many years. Keep going. So I was I was on the methadone clinic. How long were you on methadone? I was on methadone for like a year at this time. And I was doing okay with it, but I was still eating a bunch of benzos and whatnot. But I wasn't going to score heroin and I wasn't sticking needles in my arm. So I leveled up a little bit in quality of life. I get picked up on a contempt of court warrant. Why? Because I had got ordered to do community service and I didn't start it in time. Right. I'm walking down the street and a cop drives by. And I just basically was like, he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, no, I'm just walking home. I was like, can you give me a ride? He's like, sure, I'll give you a ride. But before you get in my car, I have to run you and make sure you're Why okay. did you ask the cop for a ride? I was far from home, man. Dude, I don't know. These are the dumb things the we The dumb do. shit. I thought it was a good idea to ask a cop for a ride home, right? So he runs and finds should out. Never, you should never talk to, people at home, don't talk to the police. <laughs> so so this guy, and he felt bad. This guy felt bad too. He was like, I, like you're in my car and you have a warrant. Like I have to, I, there's nothing I can do for you now. And you weren't using opiates, you were on methadone I was on time? methadone. I was on 140 milligrams of methadone. I feel you. So I go to, I go to Monmouth County Jail and yes. had to be transported to Morris County Jail because that's where the, the warrant came from. And they, this is before the, jail gave a shit if you were withdrawing or not so like you got colonidine and colonidine and benadryl sure so i kicked i was better than nothing it's better than nothing i was there for two weeks like so sick in the beginning that i asked to be put in protective custody because i was like i couldn't function around other people so i was there did they put they They did yeah for how long were you in jail 14 days off of this warrant yep because you know because had, you didn't set up your community service. So and it was Hold all on audience. If you if you have community service, you should go deal with it. Dude, so it was all a mistake too, because in Morris County they have this thing called SLAP. It's the Sheriff's Labor Assisted Program. But I didn't have a driver's license at the time, so there was no way for me to get to Morris County to do this. So the judge on record said, We're gonna transfer your community service to Monmouth County. You'll hear from Monmouth County where you can get started. That never went through. So like Morris County still thought I was supposed to do this slap program and I wasn't able to. So they had to go back and get the transcript from the court and they found out that I was right. That's exactly what the judge said. And they released me and I started my community service. But After two weeks. 14 days. 
kicking methadone. I kick methadone. They can't just give you a little methadone in bed. Little, you know? <laughs> Something, right? Oh my god. Yeah, but but like, is it really that bad of a thing? Because yeah, it was horrible. But when I came out of there, I wasn't on methadone anymore. I wasn't using opiates. Did you ever get back on methadone? Never. So that's a big big yeah, plus. I never got back on methadone. How bad was the kick? You know what's weird about the methadone is like nothing happened for the first like four or five days. I just... Because the half-life's just diminishing. Yeah, I just yeah. couldn't really sleep that well and I didn't eat really well. Then like f- days four to like eight were pretty bad. Like no sleep, lots of anxiety. So how would you rate kicking 100... Because I was on like 150 milligrams of methadone for a long time. Mm. How would you rate kicking methadone, kicking heroin, or kicking oxys? I think heroin would was the least uncomfortable I that was the, the easiest for yeah you. heroin was definitely the easiest the quickest like if you can suck it up for four days you're in the clear methadone two weeks and it's still like a few months before you feel yeah totally methadone normal. you feel yeah yeah, yeah. um it lingers methadone lingers in lingers, a weird way yeah and and oxys were a little bit worse than than heroin than heroin yeah so you get out you're off methadone uh-huh. do you do you plunge right into heroin immediately? no so i'm clean i'm clean how old are you uh, 30, 28. And you know, you're, you're fucked. Like yeah. you're a fucking drug addict. Yeah. You're in and out of jail on methadone, yeah. all this stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But so like, this is 2011. I, so weeks later, right. I go to Watkins Glen for the fish festival. I'm not on opiates. I'm not physically dependent on anything. This is where I need to make a few bucks. I was selling ketamine, right. At the fish festival. The only thing they care about is that you don't bring bottles onto the concert field, right? You can do whatever else you want there and not bring bottles on the concert field or cans on the concert. They want you to buy their beer. So I'm walking through the security and I didn't know my buddy had put a couple beers in my backpack. I wouldn't have got caught at all if I didn't have the beers in the backpack. I walk through, they find the beers in my backpack. They're like, what else you got on you? They search me. They found a bag of ketamine. Like, Is the ketamine powder? It's powder, individually bagged. How did you, where do you get ketamine from? Uh, just someone else fish tour guy would you shoot it or snort it i wasn't even using it. i was just selling it how but much could you get for ketamine 80 dollars a gram i never never bought i no one ever had ketamine around me yeah I, but i wound up doing a little bit of it here and there so it was like this weird thing too back in the day it was like it came from mexico and you had to cook it and all that stuff and then like china started making it and sh- sending it here already in powder form it's like fentanyl basically yeah but yeah, I mean, you're paying like 10 bucks a gram for it and you can sell it for 70 or 80 bucks a gram. It was a moneymaker. And all the hippies wanted the K. All the hippies wanted it. And you, it didn't show up on drug tests either. Do you say special K? K, what would you say? Just K. Say yeah. K. Kitty. K. And so when you got busted, what happened? So in the middle of upstate New York, they had basically never heard of ketamine. Would you say here, kitty, kitty, when you were out on the... In no, the I never said that, okay. but I would. It sounds good now. Thank you. The cops had arrested me, like I told them what it was, and they like... They were like, no, it's not. I'm like, yeah, it is, dude. And like, there had been a meth lab bust. Like a few. Oh, weeks they thought earlier. it was meth. They thought it was meth. So they were like, they were on it. You're like, just try it. I You'll like, see. It's I was not. Like, meth. give it to me. I'll try it right. right in front of you. But anyway, so I got locked up. There were so many people that got arrested in that festival. Schuyler County, New York, only has 34 jail cells. I was the 36th person to get arrested. So they didn't have a jail cell for me. I had to pay $500 bail to get out. But did you have the money from meth, from I, ketamine sales? I did, but they stole it from me. But I had to call my my parents and ask. And Your they poor lost. parents. They were upset about it, but they didn't want me to sit in. You know, they they paid the bail for me, and I paid them back. So like that whole thing, like I had, I was in the drug head mind where I was like, I'm gonna beat this case. They don't have blah blah blah, all this shit. Meanwhile, like 
I was dead to rights. Like the the bags that like they caught me with the empty bags that were green. The bags that the academy was in was, it was everything that they had. Like they had me. So I spent from 2011 to 2013 trying to like pay a lawyer to beat this case for me. In upstate New York, they don't have like New Jersey is they would have just gave me probation. In New York, they were like, no, you're gonna go to prison. So like I got sentenced to three years. Luckily at the time, New York had this shock incarceration program. Are you familiar? I, I didn't have to deal with it, but I've read You're about it. You're familiar. Yeah. So like they gave me the choice. Like I could do three years in a medium security penitentiary because the, in the New York government decided in their infinite wisdom to close all the minimum security prisons or go to this program for six months. So I don't know. Any way you slice it, six months sounds better than three years to me. So what is the shock program? Like? So shock program is uh, it's based around like a military boot camp. So like organization, discipline, physical fitness. Like saying, sir, yes, sir, making your bed. All these things that I didn't do before. It's like next level to therapeutic community kind of shit. Next level. And you're fucked because you would have been incarcerated. So you, how quickly are you like, I'm doing this? As soon as they offered. Were you scared? Like, I mean, like we're talking about a long run, you know, from when you're 13 or 14 and you're smoking that first weird Mm -hmm. pipe to being admitted into the shock program. Did you, how did you feel about drugs and your addiction and you being this ridiculous addict at that point. So I can remember before I get to the shock camp, I have to go to Elmira, which is the maximum, you know, what Elmira is maximum security penitentiary reception center. And they put me in the cell and the, the doors close. And Elmira is built in like for the civil war and hasn't changed since then. Right. So when they closed the cage on my cell door, I was, that's when I was like, wow, this shit is real. Right. You know, like I'm in a civil war prison. Like, right I'm not now. seeing the string cheese. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Soon. So that's the first time I was like, wow, this is, this is the time. Like I got to pivot, you know? And then I was there for like two weeks, got out of there. Describe just, that a little bit more. Cause like basically you're, you're in your early thirties, mm-hmm. you've been to treatment, you've become a heroin addict. Mm-hmm. What started. And the other thing that's really interesting to me is all this jam band shit in the Northeast is so innocent feeling mm-hmm. and it's so fun based. Mm-hmm. And here you are a fucking IV heroin addict Looking at prison time because you got into this Scooby-Doo loving fucking good time scene. Yep. Like, and so when, when does that start to really like, like, cause it gets perverted, yeah. you know, this thing that is so joyful and bright and innocent becomes, there's something even more twisted when you're a fucking opiate addict still in it. It is. It is. You know, when it really got real for me, like when I was in Elmira, I didn't talk to anybody at first. But, like, you're locked down 23 hours a day. You get one hour a day out. So, like, I started talking to the people on either side of me in their cell. I don't remember their names. But they were both, like, big-time gang They were murderers. like, I like Mo way more than the string no, cheese incident. Dude, what do you think? The other was like, I like the slip. The guy next to me is doing life without parole. Right. Shot somebody in the face. Yeah, he doesn't know about the string cheese no. incident. The guy on the other side of me, same thing. He's in there for manslaughter. He's been, like, 15 years. Here right. I am, like... Bro, I just did some drugs. He's like, like can you is- believe Trey? Is that Coventry? <laughs> yeah. But like these guys, like they looked out for me while I was there. These two guys. Because they like, knew you were fucked. Yeah. I mean, I was only there for, for a couple of weeks, but they looked like I didn't shower or anything for like the first week. And they're like, bro, you got to get your stank ass in the shower. Like if you're scared, we'll, we'll go with you. That's they, like, nice. They looked out for me and they took me out on the yard. So like props to them for that. And so they- how, did, how did you connect with people in prison when you're so not one of them? That's it. Those are the only two people I connected to. Like White guys, were, black guys. They were two black guys. And They're they, from New York, gang, gang. And you told them what happened. And they, what they say? Yeah, they kind of just like laughed at me. They're like, "Wow, you don't belong in here." I'm like, 
They're like, who do you like better, Jerry or Trey? <laughs> no clue. If I, they would have no idea. But the nicest guy, like, these dudes killed people, but they were the nicest guys ever. But I think that's an important story that people need to know. And yeah. not that you're going to have some amazing experience when you go to prison. No. But not every experience in prison is getting raped in the shower. No. no or no. being having to become a Nazi. No, not at all. I mean, it could have went a different way if I was there longer. But for that short period of time, like, those guys really looked out for me, you know? And are you like... At that point, I need to do anything to change my life. 100%. 100%. So, like, when I get out of there, I go to this Willard Drug Treatment Center. It's in upstate New York, which coincidentally is, like, 20 miles from Watkins Glen where I got arrested. I didn't even know that side of New York State existed until then. It's right on Seneca Lake. It's actually a kind of beautiful town. You know that very famous Watkins Glen concert. Summer Jam with the Grateful Dead and the Allman Brothers in 73. And the band. Yeah. Yeah, amazing yeah. amazing stuff the city the town still has the posters up in there there's a guy named alan paul who's also from new jersey he's a writer and he's coming out with a book just about that festival he wrote, he wrote like 10 books about the almond brothers That's great I, I should introduce you i you think should you'd get a kick out of that guy. that would be great anyway yeah so Sorry, willard, willard like military style boot camp all the instructors drill instructors were ex-special forces military so it's like i mean i started this program with 60 people that were in my platoon you have to wake up every morning and do physical exercise. Is everybody a drug addict? So that's the way it started out. Like this was supposed to be for drug treatment, but it got kind of bastardized over time where it was like parole violations that somewhere along the lineage of this person's criminal career, they had a drug charge where they could say like, all right, we have to do something. We'll send this person to this drug treatment center. So there was a lot of like people there that didn't need to be there for drug treatment. But it, it started out in the direction that it was for drug treatment. So the people that did need it, it was beneficial too. It was really intimidating. Like I remember they would come and inspect your locker and if it wasn't perfect, they would toss all your shit out the window. I had to like army crawl through the mud to go get my uniforms out of the, from the other side of the building. But after like a few weeks of that, like I, I went in there and I'm like, man, I don't care what I have to do for these six months. I'm completing this program. Like I will literally stand on my head for six months rather than go to prison for three years. And there was other guys in there that were like, nah, this shit ain't for me. I'm just going to go finish my sentence out. And what but, do you think the psychology is there? I, like I, I was ready. Number one, like you said, I wasn't ready earlier. I was ready. Number two, I wanted to get home. No, I, I mean somebody else who's willing to do jail. I, I think that a lot of it came down to like authority, respect for authority. Like these, the COs would get up in your face and like tell you to do stuff. And I was ready to, do whatever they told me to do, but some of these guys just weren't. I think it's like really like, because we were talking before we started recording about different like modalities of recovery mm -hmm. and there's a million modalities, but what it always comes down to is what are you willing to do? Yes, for sure. For sure. That's true. And I think part of it too is like, so I, uh, I'm going to say this in the best way I possibly can. This is the middle of upstate New York. Like the, they're all white drill instructors there's a bunch of gang members from New York City in there. These all-white drill instructors are screaming in the face of these black gang members. It was a terrible dynamic. Like, even I felt uncomfortable. You know, so, like, to, to, to those guys, it was like, I'll just go back to prison before I deal with this shit. And I don't blame them for that. Like, there was definitely some tension there that shouldn't have been. I get it. You know? But that was part of it. And I then, get it as well as a, a New York City Jewish guy can get it. That, right. You know, that would never be in that. I would really struggle in a situation like that, but I could also really see how it would benefit me. Right. So it definitely benefited me. I struggled at first. I, I, it definitely benefited me. How did, had you done any fitness shit up till then? No, none. I was smoking two packs a day. I was like probably 
60 pounds heavier than I am now. But that's exactly what started happening. Like a couple of weeks into it, I started feeling better, looking better. I was able to like, we were running two and three miles a day. And at first, like I was dying. But after like two months, I was like, cool, I get to go running in the morning. Cool, I could do 50 push-ups. Nothing I could ever do. And like structure and discipline and respect for authority, all these things I didn't have, I like I was learning. And that's when it kind of clicked to me like, all right, you know what? Like life without substances could be pretty cool. You know, I, I was feeling better. Like I had an idea, like I was enjoying the physical aspect of this, you know? And um, when I finished that program, 22 of us finished it out of the 60. Right. And I got home. I got to go back to New Jersey on parole. I stayed clean and sober over a year just by doing that physical fitness stuff. Right. I came home and hit the ground. I was running in 5Ks every weekend. I was doing CrossFit. I was doing all these things. I bet your parents were psyched. So happy. Dude, my mom, I love her for this. She, When I was getting on the train in Syracuse to come back here, she asked me what I wanted for dinner. I was like, I want fried veal cutlets. Nice. She went out and my dad made fried veal cutlets for me to come home. To. I've never had fried veal cutlets. So good. Yeah? So good. Okay. So like uneventful, but positive experience that year i was on the the piece that's interesting is like i was i was on probation in three counties of new jersey and on parole from new york at this time after i got off parole and probation like that little bit of oversight that was like keeping me straight was gone and i started going to these 5ks and stuff and then like we got you know the people i was doing with one and have a beer after and have a beer after it and then it was like all right let's do a couple beers and i was like all right and then i'm in the bathroom doing cocaine and it just kind of went back downhill so like between 2015 i start i started going right back to heroin because that was my drug of choice and this is when fentanyl starts coming into play a little bit heavier back in like early 2000s we don't have to worry about that shit. No, you couldn't get it even if you wanted no. it. No. I think I wanted it, and I was like, yeah. I didn't know where to get it. The only place that you could have, in Philly, Philadelphia had it first. There were blue bags, too. Okay. And their bag, yo, their bundles come with 11 bags in it. I don't know why. That's a bonus. Yeah, totally. Fucking bonus. 11 bag bundle. Yeah. How much? 60 bucks. Yeah, I don't know what they are crazy. now, but this was back. You know. I hate that a piece of me, when I hear about an 11 bag bundle <laughs> for $60, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and they're also double wrapped. So they're like wax bags. Nobody's fucking with them. Yeah, they're wax bags and then they're in plastic and they're sealed. But now it's all fentanyl and you're going to die if you use it. So it's just kind of a fact of life. But but yeah, so now 2015 to 2018. But there's a lot of people who are just using fentanyl every day that aren't dying. Not that's yet. That, well, that's the fucked up piece. Yeah. So, so I'm sorry. Back no. to where you are. Yeah. But like, so that's what, what started happening to me. Like I started using. And I, I want to say this. I say that that people are using every day and not dying because when you say it's just so obvious not to use fentanyl cause you'll die. There's a fucking world of addicts out there that are using it every day. And they're like, I'm not dying right. until their number comes up right. or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I know I had one, somebody tell me once, like I can't overdose. I'm only snorting it. I'm like, yes, you can. <laughs> that fentanyl hits, you know, the right amount of fentanyl gets in your nose. You're, you're going to die from it, you know? And I don't say this to like stigmatize people that are still using, but it's, it's not what it was in, you know, 2002, 2003. We were getting the pure heroin from Afghanistan because we decided to invade Afghanistan. Now we're getting fentanyl. And it's garbage. It's a disaster. Yeah. So 2015, you, yeah. you, you pick up heroin again. Yeah. So like between what went, where were you when you pick it up again? Man, I don't even, I don't even, I don't even really remember. I remember like I was hanging out with somebody that was like into pills, and like I still had to connect for pills, so I was getting them for this person, but I wasn't using them. And then I like slowly was like, eh, let me take one. And then like right off the bat, I'm like, this is lame. Let me just go get, let me just go get some heroin. 
So like, and it, when you took it, when you're when you're there, like how much of, you know, Elmira, the shock program, how much of it is in your head? Do you know? At first, none of it. At first, it was like that decision was already made before I did it. But afterwards, I started to be like, man, I really fucked up this time. Like, what am I doing? You know? But I was already, like, I already did it. You think you can do it. Yeah, you you think you could do it once or twice. There's that self-deception. I can't. Some people might be able to. I'd like to meet them, but I cannot. It's just, it's all risk reward. So how how did you get out of it? Yeah, so between 2015 and 2018, I had three pretty serious overdoses, a couple more, like, little petty drug arrests and stuff like that. Your mom wasn't making the fried veal cutlet no, then. No, no, uh, no, she wasn't. <laughs> but but I will say one of one of the times. There's two of these overdoses that I'll talk about. One of the times I was, I was thinking about this when I was on the train here today. I fell asleep on the train home from Newark. I woke up in Long Branch, New Jersey. I had like thirty or forty bags of heroin in my pocket. Were um, you selling or was it all for no, you? No, it was all for me. And I was on a bunch of Xanax. I was kind of like in that Xanax fog. And uh, I'm so I. I'm in Long Branch, it's 2 a.m. There's not another train until 5.30 or something like that. So I'm basically like, all right, I'm just going to hang here for the next three or four hours. And only people who have done like large amounts of benzos will understand this. But there was a car alarm going off in the parking lot. And like in my benzo mindset, I thought I was going to be a good Samaritan and go shut this person's car alarm off. Yes. Right? So like I go to sh- <laughs> I go to do that. And like the guy whose car it was is like, why are you breaking into my car? I'm calling the police. And like I couldn't explain that I was trying to turn his car alarm off. Um, he was in the car. No, he was heard his car alarm going off and he was coming to shut it off. And meanwhile, you're there breaking into I'm his breaking car. I'm breaking into his car. It's like it's just like it's just like getting the cop to drive you home. Yeah, it's like I, I, I've done a lot of stupid things like stupid. that too. Unfortunately, I can totally stupid. totally yeah. relate. So like I didn't fight it. The cops came. They're like, we have to arrest you for breaking and entering this man's vehicle. I'm like, okay, cool. I somehow I'm handcuffed behind my back, right? in the back of the police car. Somehow, I sneak my hands into my pants and pull out the 30 bags of dope that I have and swallow them so that I don't get arrested with them. Which also, brilliant idea, right? Let's swallow 30 bags of heroin. As I'm getting pulled out of the police car, I overdose on the floor. Incredible. Yeah, incredible. And um, like, I was in the hospital. You wake up in the hospital? I wake up in the hospital. Handcuffed? Handcuffed. They called my parents and were basically like, you gotta come say goodbye. Your son's not gonna make it. So my parents drove like two or three o'clock in the morning from Long Branch to, or from Hazlitt to Long Branch. And by the time they got there, I was awake again. And the cops wouldn't let them see me because I was under arrest. How messed up, right? Horrible. Yeah. So I remember when, when finally like I like came to and I got stood up, I, the cop gave me a plastic bag with my underwear and stuff in it. He's like, here, put these back on. And he gave me the jumper for, for Monmouth County Jail. But it's interesting though, because I bet if you hadn't eaten the dope, you'd be in prison right now. Maybe, or they might have not searched me. I don't even know. I had it put up pretty well. But probably one or the other. It was up your butt? It was, in, yeah, it was It was hidden pretty well, yeah. Not all the way up there, but it was, it okay. was there. Okay, But yeah, so like the cop hands me the plastic bag with my clothes in it and put them back So on. is that a weird regret that you have for eating the dough? Yeah. You, you yeah. think you could have gotten away with it? I don't like. I mean, I definitely have the regret of overdosing and like having something else traumatic happen to my family. Right, but these are the things that I think. I mean, we can't take back anything, no. and I think no. that's one of the reasons that you're here right now. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's to the point now where I'm so far removed from this stuff that I'm talking about myself like I'm gossiping about somebody else. 
Well, it's also like you you think back on decisions you made, and I'm sure that was a regret in your head for a year. Like, mm -hmm. why did I eat the dope? Yeah. And so it kind of sticks like that in yeah. your head now. 100%. 100%. Where it's like, in reality, all these things got us to a place where our life is better. Yeah. I mean, I say that all the time. Like, all this stuff that has happened, I've done, like, I couldn't change one part of it because I love where I'm at right now. I love what I do for work. I love my relationship with my girlfriend and my family. If any one of those little things didn't happen, it might be different. It, you know, I have all these weird regrets and I have such a nice life. I have these beautiful kids and, and still I, I go to weird places. Yeah. Like why wasn't I on the swim team in high school? Yeah. My whole life could be different, but my life is great. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, so how did you get out of it though? Uh, that was one of those things like New Jersey passed that bail reform thing. So you basically can't stay in jail for more than 48 hours unless you did something serious. So they let me out and... Um, I just continued to do what I was doing, waiting to go to court and all that shit. May 24th of 2018, I get in the car in front of my house. I do two bags of heroin. I was up to like 10. Shooting. Yeah, I do two. And luckily I wasn't driving. I was just in the car and I overdosed, right? So obviously it was fentanyl. And I like the car rolled onto my neighbor's lawn. Right. And I woke up to the cops giving me CPR. I have the AED attached to me and everything. And uh, like one of the, I remember this. I don't know if you've ever been Narcan, but if you no, have, I haven't. So when, well, at least for my experience, when I when you get Narcan, you wake, you don't remember much of it. You're in a fog. You're angry and you're in a fog. But I do remember this police officer that I had had other experiences with pointed over. There was two little kids playing basketball like a hundred feet from my car, and she was like, "What are you doing? You could have killed those kids, and you would have spent the rest of your life in prison. If you want to die, just go home and do it." And like that stuck with me because I, I already know I didn't want to go to prison. I know I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't really care too much about myself at this point. But so after all that happens, I go to Monmouth County Jail and that that sat with me a little bit. And I made that decision again. Like, this is it. I got this is my last chance. Like, that's the next step for me is I'm going to die or I'm going to go to prison. And I don't want either of those. So I did. I, I sat in Monmouth County Jail for about two months. My girlfriend and my family arranged somehow with an attorney that they were going to keep me there until they found a treatment center that would accept me they found a treatment center that would accept me i got bussed from monmouth county jail in handcuffs in the sheriff's van to a treatment center in new jersey and um like i got to meet this clinician i sat down on her couch young woman i told her a lot of what i just told you about my experience with the 12-step program what had worked for me the pieces of the physical fitness what hadn't worked for me like the fact that I would get clean for 60 or 90 days and like feelings of guilt and shame and embarrassment would come up and I would get high just enough to feel that. And she introduced me. Her suggestion was, uh, you should try yoga. And I kind of like laughed. At I'm like, yo, like what? Like, how is that going to solve my problem? She's like, you try everything else, man. Just try this. So I did. I started doing yoga every day. I started practicing meditation every day. And like within a few weeks, I felt a million times better. I was like, this is going to be part of my recovery. There's something that was missing for me, like the spirituality of it, the calm, the stillness of it, the moving again, the physical aspect of it. All of those were things. That, it's incredible. Yeah. It's incredible because like whatever thing that works and it takes you out of the thing that didn't work, it's like you just need to grab it. Mm -hmm. It's very inspiring story. Yeah. I mean, I like hearing about anything that works for anybody. And like you were force fed that 12 step shit at a moment that you couldn't possibly enjoy mm -hmm. it and the yoga took hold and the fitness took hold and, and i think you were how old were you this was five years ago so, so how old 35 
So you and you were just fuck, I mean, thirty five is a is like it's a good year to stop doing heroin. It is. It is. It was a great year to stop. Two thousand eighteen was a great year to stop doing heroin. <laughs> yeah, but like so, while I was still in there, somebody came in to teach yoga class who was from the Phoenix and asked me what I was going to do when I leave. And I was like, I don't know. I want to do yoga and fitness. She's like, well, come check this thing out. We have this place where you can go do yoga and CrossFit and all these things for free. And all you have to do is stay sober. So I left treatment. I went there and I just never left. And Uh, that's the Phoenix. That's the Phoenix. That's where I work today. And I'm lucky enough to have made a career out of that. Now I oversee our whole region from Connecticut all the way through Philadelphia. So are you saying that if a dopey nation person is sober and they want free gym access, there's a Phoenix place for them. Yeah. If you go to our website at www.thephoenix.org and it's not only gym access, we do everything from music, art, poetry to CrossFit, yoga, mountain biking, hiking, climbing, whatever it is that you're into, we, we do it. And And I'm not trying to be shameless pluggy here, but it looks like dopey and the Phoenix is going to do some stuff uh, where it looks like we're going to do some concerts and stuff. So everybody out there in dopey nation, if you need help the phoenix is free so check it out what's it called phoenix what the phoenix www.thephoenix.org yeah so check that out chris i love your story i think this was a lot of fun one thing i want to say though i love how drug addicts always say they eat benzos they eat acid they eat oxys but they do heroin yeah isn't that interesting it is that is very, that's something for me to ponder. All right. Well, ponder away. Thank you for coming. It was a lot of fun. Thanks, brother. Was this the best time of your life? This was totally a good time. I, would, I hope we do it again sometime. Right on, Chris. Thanks, man. All right. That was Chris Spolina. What do you think? So it's funny because I was thinking like you've had so many guests on who have been like a part of like jam band world, like whether it's the dead or fish or whatever. And just even like listeners who call in with like stories, like they were at a fish concert or blah, blah, blah. This is like a whole section of the world that I completely missed. I never was into it. I never knew anything about it, took any interest in it. I mean, obviously I knew who they were, but it's like. I respect you for that. I just, it's not me. I don't know. You know, it just was never me. I think, well, I think that. I, I think that it's a certain kind of person that goes in for these kinds of shenanigans. Right. And I'll say for myself, as a musician from the Northeast, I mean, I use the word musician loosely, uh, from the Northeast, I was really into the scene. Like I, and I was a stoner. It's, it's what? <laughs> Which reminds me of a note. I think you must have said that, like being part of Into It. You were like... He, it was definitely like I was definitely not into it for the women. Was that you or was that That's him? That's him. I like I thought the, that was really funny. Yeah, no, because I love the hippie girls. Yeah. So I yeah, loved, I wasn't really into like hippie culture. I loved hippie culture. I loved hippie culture as an offshoot of like beatnik culture. Yeah. I, I like I that you. continuum. Mm-hmm. And you liked beatnik culture though, didn't you? I did. And like there's certain things that like from the era that hippies began, like that sort of like Woodstock, like that. I mean, from that era, like when I was like young, like elementary school, I was really obsessed with Jim Morrison and like his poetry (laughs) and and the doors and like that whole like, you know, his death and you know, all of that. And then I was really into Jimi Hendrix. But beyond that, I didn't really 
get that deep into... Well, I have a theory about mm -hmm. this. There's The first theory is that people who are into punk mm -hmm. hate hippies, mm -hmm. except for that weird Venn diagram of punks that are hippies, right. which exists. But you went into that kind of post-punk, new wave hip-hop 90s I mean thing. I was into I was very much into like I got very into hip-hop I was very into post-punk indie bands yeah like it was like it was very much about like sort of DIY shit like all the shit that came out of Seattle and like that led into grunge but like the the indie bands that kind of came right before grunge like that kind of stuff like the Pixies were as like a young, like in eighth grade, seventh or eighth grade, I went and saw them play. You like like Husker Do? No, I you know I was Sonic never, Youth. Yes, Sonic Youth. See, I think the Venn I diagram. Joy, like when I was like Joy Division, it all came right. out of like Joy Division, like that kind of stuff. I think the the Venn diagram of mm -hmm. Joy Division and Fish is not that much of a crossover. No, I never <laughs> liked Fish. You know yeah. what I mean? I don't want to say that out loud because I really want Trey right to come on Dopey more than anything. Right. So, but I like Trey, but I was never into fish. I wish I had been into fish. Mm -hmm. Like I tried, I just couldn't get into it. The dead I stumbled into through drugs, mm -hmm. you know, and, and, and the scene. And like, I liked, I, I, I was such a fucking, maybe, maybe I wasn't a pot. I wasn't a pot smoker. You weren't a pot that's smoker. That's why Yeah, I was, I think that's what it was. I wasn't a pot smoker. I, I was basically uh, Shaggy from Scooby-Doo. Like, that was my... That's what I wanted. That's what kind of what I still want to be. I kind of still want to be that. I'm like middle-aged dad Shaggy. Right. But, yeah, anyway, keep going. All right. Okay. I loved all of the Jersey references because he's, like, naming shit all over Monmouth County, and that's where my husband grew up. So I was like, oh, my God, Long Branch, Monmouth University, like everything he was naming, the PNC Center, like all of those things were, I got a kick out of that. But he talked about winning that Caribbean stud poker. Right. Jackpot. I love that. It, the odds aren't good, but it's a really fun game. I, I cannot believe, two things I couldn't believe was one was hitting the Royal Flush, and mm -hmm. two, the fact that he used that money responsibly. That I didn't expect I that. Know. I didn't expect I that. I mean, yeah, that was good. It lasted him for a while, you know. Because that money—that's that's the kind of money that it's a good chunk of money, but it can go fast. That money would have ruined my life. I mean, I would have died from that money. Well, you know that, like my last big bout of when I started using heroin again, and like that, the last run before I got caught, I had been given some money, and that is a big part of why. I, yeah, I but you hit so the fast. fucking royal flush at a casino and you're a drug addict. Yeah. That could be a real real problem. Yeah. What else you got? Okay. Um, oh, I was wondering if this was you calling me out because you, you were talking about like you were probably always too messy for needles and you're like, oh, I'm not like these meticulous people with their little cases. And I was like, is he fucking referencing me? No, I don't. Th <laughs> I don't think so. I don't. I don't. I had a, a in L.A., they didn't have needle exchanges when I or, or like I didn't go. They did have when yeah. you were there. They didn't they they didn't go and um or I didn't go mm -hmm. and they didn't like they didn't have a truck and they and you could wait what it was you couldn't buy needles at the drugstore. Right. So I had like five needles and I didn't clean them. And I I, I had like some kind of disgusting lunchbox that like had markers and needles in it. And the needles <laughs> thrown in there. It was so everything was covered in blood. It was it was so. Did you ever share a needle? Yeah, but but not a lot. 
I shared a needle once and um, with like the one person I was like using with and but we like we did the whole thing of like boiling water and bleaching and like everything and but you know I only shared a needle one time too with this guy named Orlando Mm -hmm. and me and Orlando I met this woman at a detox Mm -hmm. at a rehab Rhinebeck, New York, mm-hmm. and her, and her boyfriend's name was Orlando, mm-hmm. and Orlando lived in New Jersey, mm-hmm. and I met. I think that was when I started shooting up regularly, mm-hmm. and then Orlando started coming to my apartment on Twenty Fourth Street, and me and Orlando would uh, would like yeah. steal shit and sell it, and like it was like crazy. Like we would go to the garbage room in Penn South and find books, and then go sell them. We would just like, and then we get. You were high. industrious. We were, but it was like it was just like that weird sort of right. phase. And he was the only person I shared a needle with, mm-hmm. and I think he went after me. I'm I'm pretty sure right. he went. I can't imagine. Maybe I went after him because why would I even remember it? I went at so when I the one time I shared a needle, I went after my friend. But I mean, she was somebody I knew very well, and we we really did bleach it and everything. But like you know, I was very tidy with my rigs i mean i was i was not tidy. i had you know because the needle exchange would give you little cottons i and love that the little tourniquets and you know what i did alcohol like? swabs and everything i didn't like how poorly designed the cookers are because i don't how think can, I, I got a cooker how from can them. they i had a spoon the cooker literally. the cooker they give you is a little they give you like a. Yeah, I guess I have. I mean, I, I when I did when I worked with a uh, unhoused youth, we had like harm reduction kits that had cookers in them. But they don't have a handle, no. so they get really hot. So how right. do you cook the cooker? Like, how do you cook it without burning yourself? Can you stick the cooker in a tablespoon. I, I maybe you could have done that. I never even considered. I'd burn my fingers every time. I'd hold it and, and light it, <laughs> and every time I would be like, "The cooker is so poorly designed. It needs a handle." Right. But then who's going to really be designing free cooker handles when there are spoons <laughs> everywhere? Right. Um, what else you got? Okay. Um, when you talked about the 12 steps, he was talking about that rehab he went to where he, they just took them to seven meetings a day. Yeah, that's right. No rough. wonder he got burnt out on 12-step yeah. program. It had to have been exaggerated. Seven meetings? Nobody goes to seven meetings a day. I mean, I think the most meetings like I ever went to in a day, I think once or twice I went to three meetings a day. Now, in early sobriety, I there were many days where I did go to two a day, but that was when like my whole life was just like AA and like socializing with people from AA. Three meetings a day sounds excessive. Seven meetings has to be an exaggeration. I, I don't know why it didn't occur to me to call him out on that. I mean, other Chris, than like unless <laughs> Chris Polina, if you're listening to this, seven meetings a day—that's impossible. It's imp- it's, well, it's not impossible, but it's, it's a highly lot. unlikely. Unless you're like at like, you know, like during like a marathon, like over like a holiday or something where they do like 24 hours a day. They Listen, used to do those on like Fountain and Fairfax. They used to have like during the holidays in L.A. like 24 hours during like Christmas, Christmas Eve. Yeah, that's a lot of fun. What else you got? <laughs> uh, okay. I made a note of this and I've said this before. Every time I hear a methadone story, I am for for all of the shit that I did, I'm so grateful that I never went the methadone route. Now I know there's plenty of people who successfully successfully went methadone. that route. I'm just glad I didn't have to go through like getting off of methadone. Is basically what I'm saying. And then the last thing I wanted to say is that 
I was like so pleasantly surprised when he talked about like I wasn't expecting it. I know I knew his backstory, so I knew that he was going to talk about like the 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 exercise component of his recovery. He had big jacked up arms. Really? Yeah. Now I have to see his picture of this guy. Okay. Um, I thought about like it reminded me of me (laughs) because of the yoga thing because that was when I finally stayed in recovery. One of the main differences why it stopped going to 12-step meetings. And then I also started two, three times a week doing kundalini yoga. And it's where I sort of learned how to be in my body and not feel like I wanted to escape. Yeah, Chris, Chris who died, he, he found a lot of, I don't know, spirituality from yoga. It was, it was, the, thing, it was the thing that really triggered his recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk about methadone, and, and it was in Grant's email mm-hmm. when he's talking about kicking benzos versus methadone, and 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 for him kicking benzos was worse. I was just talking to somebody else about this, and I I feel like it's all so bad. You know, kicking heroin is horrible. Kicking mm-hmm. benzos horrible. Kicking methadone horrible. Right. It's like, I don't know how to compare them. Although I think he, he made this point. I think this was him that made this point that like, at least with heroin, like the acute portion of it is shorter because the half-life is shorter. Yeah. I just think, I mean, for me in my experience and, and, and it, I find it crazy that I've kicked heroin, methadone and benzos. Like I, it's multiple like, times. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's bizarre to me. I, know. I mean, the, the whole show is about that. And yet I still find it crazy that I actually did that. I can't believe how often I kicked heroin while operating in the world, pretending that I wasn't kicking heroin. Although in some level it was like a good That's psychological good. trick yeah. because when you have no choice, but to pretend it's like, but it was awful. I mean, and how many times on airplanes and on vacations? I mean, it's just so I like it was like masochism. Yeah, I mean, kicking is, is the pits. Kicking methadone. The last time I kicked methadone, uh, I was so excited. Like, I remember like when I when I kicked methadone, I was so excited that it was over. And uh, oh, man, like. I shortly left Los Angeles after that Mm -hmm. and I became totally addicted to heroin again, but not for a second did I consider methadone, not for a second. I did go to detox and they gave me methadone and it wasn't a big deal. It was like five days, but like, oh my God. Well, well that's, I mean, my whole thing when I was pregnant with Atticus and I was like, I didn't know how I was going to stop. And then I was like afraid to stop and I was like, I have to stop. What am I doing? You know, I'm going to, if I'm going to have this baby, I have to stop. And I spoke to doctors who, you know, the protocol was that you go on methadone, but I was like two things. I like, I had held out that long and not been on methadone. And I was like, I'm not going to, and this is, I, this is no judgment on anybody that, that did it the methadone way and had a baby where the baby has to wean off of the methadone. That's no judgment at all. I think they're all valid. I just couldn't, I just couldn't do it. I was like, I can't. So what did you do? I found a doctor who um, would detox me over seven days using buprenorphine. Right, right. So, and it's funny because the way that. Does that affect the baby differently? 
Well, the baby's not born addicted to anything because I was complete. I detoxed at the, I detoxed like the very beginning of my second trimester. So, you know, it was six months later, the baby or whatever was born. So it wasn't like there was enough time. He was not, I was completely sober for six months before he was born. Right. So no, he was not born addicted to anything. And it was, you know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, he says now, like, he's like, you know, one of the main reasons you told me the other day, because I was telling him, like, do you need to take some more, like, fentanyl testing strips to your apartment just to have them there? And he's like, you know, it gives me, like, the eye roll. And he's like, Mom, he's like, he's like, I'm not, like, he's like, I have no interest in, like, touching, like, Molly or Coke or uh, certainly not an opiate. He's like, you know, I know I'm predisposed since, you know, I had it when I was in the womb. And I was like, oh, I'm like, I don't really think that's the case, but maybe just because you have it genetically. <laughs> He has weird street cred. He had weird prenatal street totally. cred. Oh, oh, he's such an. He he's like he's yeah. I just tell all my friends I was born a crack baby. I'm like I wasn't smoking crack then. Well, he's it's a pre pre yeah. pre crack baby. Yeah. Are there any more? No post. I I didn't smoke. I haven't done anything since I had him. Right, but he was. You are a pre. You are a crackhead pre to his being a baby. Yes. Yes. Um. Any more Chris? I don't have any other notes. No. Well, I thought he was super. I thought, uh, you know, I, I just He's super likable, right? My, my favorite thing is just, you know, the idea that the convicts are going to fight over string cheese incident versus, right. but I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm a nerd. So, um, what else? I want to do another email Okay. that, all right, one more. Okay. This is from Tammy who's struggling. Okay. Tammy's struggling hardcore. Okay. Dave. Where do I even begin? So last week, I went to the world-renowned University of Pennsylvania Hospital where I thought I would begin my battle against the fentanyl and really do something to get the fuck off of it. I did some research and decided to trust them. They ended up giving me a shot similar to Sublocade, but the effects were to last only seven days, not 30 like Sublocade. I had used fentanyl that day, which I told them, and having many people go before me in this particular process, they assured me I would be fine. No concern for precipitated withdrawal. Wrong. Very, very, very wrong. I have been in a next level sickness since last Tuesday. Mind you, I have still refused to get any more fentanyl and start this bullshit all over again. So there's that. Good for you. I refuse to go to the hospital because I'm depressed enough. I will surely be way more fucked if I put myself in that atmosphere, which is where I was when I got this fucking shot. I'm trying to overpower the shot with more Suboxone, which is helping maybe slightly. It's like I begin to feel a little bit better after I take part of a sub and then I just feel worse. I don't understand. Needless to say, I have not done anything in my apartment and don't plan on it. I can't help it. All I can do is ride this out. I will not go backwards. Signing off for now. T. That's Tammy. I, I know. She's struggling. I'm sorry. You know what, Tammy? I as we were talking about a few minutes ago, kicked so many times and obviously I haven't kicked fentanyl. So I don't know if it's much worse, if it's different, but I do know that the first time I went to rehab, even though they gave me medication, I didn't fucking sleep for 17 days. I laid down, closed my eyes, but I didn't fucking sleep. And you know, maybe I drifted a couple times, but it, there was just no real sleep. And I felt so awful and so crazy and then eventually, one day, I slept a little bit, and it was the first, like, real sleep I'd had, and 
when I woke up the day next day, I was just like that feeling of sort of like the light at the end of the tunnel hope was there. And, you know, this as awful and horrendous as this is, and I know that it is, it is temporary. That I'm sure of. Since Tammy's email, her mother died of lung cancer. And uh, so, you know, and I, I, I sent out a, you know, a condolence, but, but condolences to Tammy Aww. for her mom. And, and this is where Tammy's at right now. Thank you, Dave, and don't worry about not responding right away. I understand you're busy. It sounds like we both had a sickness that took us out for a bit. Yeah, I had horrible uh, stomach flu. Stomach flu is crazy. Um, I'm going to continue saying that was the sickest I've ever been, but now I'm almost off the fence. Yay! The crack is here to stay. Oh. <laughs> crack to me is what weed is to some people, and I just cannot endure that depression. It's next level. She did a, I did a dopey Zoom on Friday night at 7. I couldn't believe how many people were saying exactly the same things to me that I was hearing at meetings 10 years ago. LOL. It was good. It made me laugh. I needed that. Of, you know, what do you think? They have a new take on recovery? It's all the same. I love that Tammy, is her, her method, her, uh, her marijuana, marijuana. <laughs> maintenance is crack. Oh, my God. Oh, that sounds so... I hated crack. I fucking hated it. But here, Dopey Zoom, if you're interested in going to Dopey, Dopey Zoom, they do 26 meetings a week. The ID number is 804-300-586. The password is toodles, all lowercase. You know what I did when I was sick? Mm. I got so sick, I was projectile vomiting. Ugh. Like, it was fucking... Was it both ends? Yes. Ugh. It was both ends. Worst. But somehow I I enjoyed it because you're like I'm gonna my stomach's gonna be all flat. No, it was it was just more like it was more like <laughs> it was it, it was it was more like <laughs> it wasn't that it was that it's some weird nostalgia for for also not being able to do anything like being. Well, t- you wanted to be sick for a while. I always want to be sick, and I watched um, T two Train Spotting too. I haven't seen, you know, I still haven't fucking seen Trainspotting okay. 2. I had gotten the, um, you know, the Amazon Fire Stick that mm-hmm. has this jailbreak ability to show anything. Mm-hmm. Like it's some fake fucking Amazon shit. And I, and I got it years ago and I was like, I'm going to watch. And it was when Trainspotting 2 was in the theaters when I got it. I was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to watch it. But the, the version they had was so bad I couldn't even watch it. It mm-hmm. was some pirate version. And I and I never wanted to watch Train Spotting too because it looked just so fucking horrible. Mm-hmm. But when I watched it with my stomach flu, it was like I loved it so much. It was it was like twenty years after Train Spotting, mm-hmm. and it's been like twenty years since I was really in the throes right. of my young heroin addiction. I mean, I I probably I stopped doing drugs in twenty fifteen. I probably stopped doing heroin i don't know 2013 2012 mm-hmm. i don't know but 2000 when her- when right. train spotting came out i was i was in that oh i was like in the thick of things right do you, do you want to know what's crazy next like in in a month well i don't know when you're listening to this but in around a month on March 5th, it'll have been 20 years since I did heroin. Well, that's what I'm, what I'm saying is so significant about this movie Crazy. that like we're 20, it's like 20 years out and the characters in train spotting are 20 years out. Right. And it's like, 
it's not a lot of recovery. It's certainly not a recovery right. movie, but I, I literally, and it's, and but it's, they're not all still fucked up. They kind of are. Right. Nobody's not real. It's you got to watch it. Right. And I don't think you're going to like it. Okay. I liked it so much. I fucking cried at the end. Aww. I cried at the end. Really? I fucking cried. Anyway, uh, I recommend train spotting too. It's not a great movie, but I really, really liked it. And in my head, Danny Boyle is going to come on Dopey, so I don't want to say that it's not good. I, I mean, I don't remember hearing it wasn't good. It's not good. I'm just going to say that. It's All not right. good, but it's like it's like good the way like 90210 is good. I'm just saying. 90210 is good. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's good like the way 90210 is good. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I like to check in with Fentanyl J mm-hmm. as often as I can before he goes away. That's a rhyme. It is a rhyme. Wait, has he been sentenced? No, no. sentencing is coming down in April, so okay. I'm trying to get him on as much as I can. So now we're going to go to check in with Fentanyl J. Okay. Also a rhyme. So I'm in the car. My friend Jay, who I've named for the show Fentanyl J. Hi. How does it feel to be called Fentanyl J? I kind of, I, I can rock with it, you know. It's not a bad name. There are worse names out there. Right. There are worse names. Is there do you feel concern about the stigma associating your name with the lethal, lethal <laughs> drug that's killing people and that also might get you sentenced the to weapon prison? of mass destruction. Right. The, so do you feel any kind of stigma, any bad vibes? I don't no, not really. I mean, we're talking to uh Addicts. the dopey nation here, you know? Sure. So so I can I can wear it, you know. Maybe not like at work or like on the street, you know. So no one at work is like, hey, Fentanyl no. J, can I get some hot salsa? <laughs> no. Is that Fentanyl J? Oh, shout out to Vegan. Shout out to the surf goddess. Did they always. listen to the last few bro, episodes? They listen. They're avid listeners. Comments? Bro. bro, they came vegan and he knows, like, don't tell anyone else at work. Like, what the fuck, you know? He comes out to me and goes, and goes, I want six cookies. I knew it. <laughs> and they fucking better be heated up. I was like, oh, the shit. They're real listeners. You didn't listen. No. And and did any of your uh, your harem listen? No. Good. No. That's terrific. Yeah, yeah. That's a rule. That's a good rule. That's a, that's a rule for the harem. <laughs> now, Jay has a lot. You have a lot of very untraditional things happening in your life that I'm really taken with. The first thing that I find to be so <laughs> amazing, it's like you were a drug addict basically your whole life. Yeah, right? basically. And then and then you crawled into recovery. When you were busted, yep. fucked, out of detox. And spent all my money. Yeah, and you you came in fucked. Yeah, fucked. Then you did around eight, nine months. And this is a recap for anybody that yep. doesn't know the, the Fentanyl J story. Yeah. Like the back of their hands. Uh, you did around nine, eight, nine, ten months, something, something like that. Something in there. And then you're like, fuck it, I want to be normal. Yep. Got a job waiting tables. Yep. Started drinking like a college kid. Yep. Having sex willy-nilly. Yep. Doing, doing whatever you could. <laughs> Check. Uh, the year ends, this is again for the recap for the mm. Dopey Nation don't remember. The year ends with, with Fentanyl J's 30 days of drinking. 30, yeah. It's supposed to be 30 days of Christmas, but then I realized there's only t- 25 days of Christmas, and then I was in too deep. I already, it was 30 like, days. 30 of, days of Christmas <laughs> and three days of Coke. I yeah, think. I think <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. Was yeah. The ratio. yeah, I think that makes sense, yeah. Then... Jay and I had a couple talks and Jay had it in his head that he was like, I'm going to I'm going to stop drinking once the year is over. Mm. And Jay is not working a program. No, nope. he's, he's not. He doesn't have a sponsor. He doesn't go to meetings. He's not doing any of that stuff. And yet he's tallied 
37 days. 37. So let's hear it for Where's the button with Jay? the fucking. We don't have it. <laughs> but so, Jay, how do you do it? Do you have any cravings? Do you think about it from time to time in terms of wanting to go out, wanting to get out of your head? What's going on? I mean, I fucking. I don't have a lot of time anymore. I do. You I do. mean, I do. What do you mean? I, I mean, I what do. Do, what don't you have? I do, but I don't. I don't. I don't though, because I work four days. I could go out after work, but then I realize, like after New Year's night, where I got fucking trashed and did cocaine and had fucking work the next day, it was the most horrible shift of my life. I'm not kidding. Really? It was the worst. Okay, the worst shift, shift of, at, at this restaurant of my life. Okay. Worst job. Worst only whatever. It was fucking horrible and you kind of had a self-reflective bro it was horrible yeah yeah i left i I left because it was pajama day and i and the even the boss was like dude go go buy some pajamas somewhere like get out of here because i was you were not in pajamas (laughs) i was but (laughs) i was in a fucking heavy he's like buy some he knew like he didn't say like he knew but basically he was giving you that giving me the pass yeah yeah so he's go to target fucking take a nap for like two hours couldn't even nap though because the, the coke bro whatever it was bro it fucking kept it was not it was not it was not good so that that deters me from drinking on weekdays now i go to the gym a lot and i'm fucking fill my time with with other shit you know like what like like hanging out with with different people you know with you you know how you don't <laughs> hang out with me at all how what is it like to have multiple romantic partners it's, how tricky is that I'm, i believe just so we're clear mm, you do it to protect yourself from from being exposed it's possible from being you want to keep yourself from getting hurt or being loved so you you split the bill and split the bill exactly exactly and it's, it's working, not yeah but and it's not even like i'm being love. like <laughs> it's double the love i mean it is i got a lot of love to give you know i want to say it is and it isn't uh <laughs> but listen i i think it's what the inspiring piece is is that you you've put together no it's hard for people to get 37 days it is it doesn't seem like it was that hard for you like it was uh, there were times maybe where i was like oh i want to fucking go out especially in the beginning of january like when i first fucking stopped when i first stopped it was fucking there was a bunch of times where like fucking people were going i went out to dinner with all the friends once and i was just drinking water and everyone else was drinking bummed what kind of like didn't wasn't fucking it wasn't it was like what the fuck like I, I kept on thinking like should i fucking do it should i just take a shot you know like should i drink with everyone but i just kept on drinking water and uh yeah it, it I, w- I wouldn't like to fucking do that often you so know why are you sticking with this i don't know i don't know i'm trying to fucking get my health back i want to get my head straight you know how do you feel i feel good That's i feel fucking good and now now i fucking um i downloaded tiktok for the first time <clears> oh <throat> Uh, like a week ago or something, fucking black hole. Yes. I'm, I deleted it today. I can't do it. That's why I got this book from you today too. So now I got to start fucking. Now I'm gonna do the reading, the the shit I haven't been doing. <laughs> you know. Well, I, I I don't know why you never want to listen to the books. I know. I think that you could listen at the gym. Le- oh, listen like audio. Yeah, audible. Audible. Oh yeah. And Call so in the audible. <laughs> I think you should do that. I think you'd like that. Yeah, but I need something ferocious at the gym. You know, like, like what? Fucking. What are you listening to at the gym? Yesterday was a big, uh, big little Dirk day. You know, like kind of kill people. Like you know. What like... is what is little Dirk? Day? <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear? All right, we'll play. You're gonna love this. I don't think I will. I think you might. Nah, you're gonna hate this. All right, I'm ready. You ready? I'm ready. Should I play it into the mic? Bring the Dirk. 
bring the Durkio. Oh, the the I'm, Dopey I'm Nation knows um, who Durkio is. Is it Lil or Little? Lil. Yeah. Come on. Wait. That doesn't sound that ferocious. Wait. Wait. Okay, 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 okay. Okay, okay, okay. What do you feel? I, I, I hear you're coming. You from. know, yeah, now so I'm going to be listening to like, you know. It's not going to be the same ferocious as Stephen, fucking... Stephen King audiobook. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I get it. I get it. I understand exactly. that. So basically, you're trying to get your head together, your body together. Yep. And... And you're, how is the fear? I'm, I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get into like some good fucking shape because the, the days are winding down. And you know, there's always that thought in the back of my head where like, oh shit, maybe they'll just let me go and forget about me. You know? How often does that thought? Every it, day. It, it every come, day. Yeah, 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 day. yeah, yeah. It, yeah, comes, yeah. it comes, I try, I've been trying not to say it out loud That's for so what long, I said every you know? time we talked yeah, about it, it for the year. Yeah. But then like now I'm just scared for you. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm dealing with the worst case scenario. And then if you get out of it, mm-hmm. like, it's like, yes. It's like, it's, it's like reverse for me. Like the whole time I was thinking when it was far away. It's happening. Like it's happening. It's going down. It's fucking going. But now as it's getting closer. And it's a bad way to think, but it's like, maybe they'll just fucking let me go. I would love that. You know, maybe they will. But fuck, I don't even know how that'd work because they have like $100,000 in bail right now. I don't, what do they, just give it back? Even I, I, don't, I don't know how it works. And you don't want to talk to the lawyer. No, You're I'm scared. not going to call him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to wait till he calls me. You know? So the fear is, is taking the form of kind of hope. Yeah. Which is very scary. It's fucked up. Yeah, because then it can just fucking crash and burn, you know? And I, like I said, I, I probably, I'm not going to call a lawyer because like I don't even want to put my name in that circle of fucking law in Ohio. I want, you, yeah, let, you're you know? scared you're going to be like, remind them who you are. <laughs> yeah, and then exactly. all of a sudden, oh, fuck, oh, we have to fuck. send him to prison yeah. for 10 years. Yeah, court date. I oh. understand. So you think he'll he'll reach out to you? He's, yeah, he's, yeah, he got paid. He fucking true. Well, there's a lot of people. I don't know if this is going to make you feel good or mm-hmm. not good. In the dopey nation that want to write you when you're. Oh, prison. this is going to be dope. I'll send you guys a postcard. Do they have prison, prison postcards? Yeah. It'll be a fucking picture of the fucking barbed wire on the fence, you know? All right, this is what we got. We, got, we got emails. We got we got a very emotional oh, email. Oh fuck. We have Oh fuck. We have uh, a spiritual email and then we have just a fucking straight up dopey. Straight email. dopey. You want the straight dopey? Give me the straight dopey. All right. Love that shit. Here we go. Hey Dave. Sending another update because I don't have anyone else to talk about this. The last 2 weeks has been a fucking whirlwind. I had tapered my usage down to about a quarter gram a day and was ready to jump off and start the subs. Mm. The day after I wrote my email to you was going to be my last day on dope. Of course, my regular dealer pops up out of nowhere. He tells me he was in a motorcycle crash. He hit a car going 80 miles per hour and spent a week in the hospital. Following the hospital stay, he was sent to jail two weeks for an open warrant. He gets out the day I'm planning on jumping and immediately hits me up. I couldn't withstand the temptation. I meet up with him to buy my usual ounce. Ooh. I've n- that can't be of heroin, can it? Right? He was doing a have quarter you, gram, though. So have it's you ever like... bought an ounce of heroin? 
of heroin? No. Ounce of heroin. I don't heroin. even know what to do with that. I, I haven't bought an eight. I haven't bought an eight. I've, 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 when I bought grams, I thought I was like the king of New York yeah, City. Yeah, yeah. Fucking get a couple but, Bundies, you know? Bundles, bunnies. bundles was my universe. Bundies is a normal. But it can't be. He can't ounce? be talking about an ounce of heroin. I'm going to keep going. And he's down to a quarter gram. He's like, fuck it. It's my last day. And I'm just going to go get an quarter ounce. Quarter gram. There, 28 grams in an ounce, right? Yeah. Oh, you I don't know. Here we go. I met up with, to buy my usual ounce and <laughs> and keep telling myself this is the last one. It's got to be weed. It, it can't be. Anyway, I'm going to keep reading. Uh, I am still planning on quitting. But no, he said he's switching the subs. I know. I know. I tell my dealer <laughs> no. I'm going to try to kick after spending the last five years buying from him. He tells me I should and that he knows I have great potential and we'll, this is a nice deal. Great guy. <laughs> and we'll really hit my stride once I do. He has been clean since being released from jail, but he just sells heroin. Yeah. That's, I don't like that. Don't do that, Jay. No, know. I was yeah. just thinking. Don't even think about it. <laughs> he had been clean since being released from jail and was planning on staying clean. He actually finds himself lucky because he was completely knocked out for a week in the hospital Ooh. and missed the worst part of his withdrawal. Oh, nice, huh? Well, I found out that he has passed away. Oh, fuck. I have no idea what happened, but I can only assume he <laughs> overdosed. My guess. He was an IV user and probably had his tolerance drop a bit from his clean time. I feel awful. He has always been really good to me, always fronted me if I didn't have the money. Good guy. He obviously paid him back, though. Yeah. Or would try to, because you don't keep, you don't get, you can't, can't, can't continuous keep front. Right. Or would try to buy me lunch or whatever he could. That's a solid drug Great. dealer. Anyway, Great drug dealer, drug abuser did relationship. Did you buy a lot of lunches? For, Never. For, for Never custies? have I ever once. Did you ever. call them custies? No. Yeah, when I was younger, yeah, a couple custies. Yeah, yeah. Custies, great. Stuff. Definitely. Anyway, I'm back in the same position I was in when I wrote my last email to you. I don't want to hit the streets, and I don't want to find a new dealer. Oh, my God. Last the only is difference is I have a pretty large bag of dope to try to wean off of. An ounce. I, I don't get that. It's a lot. Dopey Nation, if you're a heroin addict or an ex-heroin addict, it's and you ever bought heroin by the ounce, please write in an email Right, to and where's this guy even at? I feel like heroin's like not even a thing anymore. Hold on. Dopeypodcast at gmail.com. My bad. That's, yeah. Come on. Uh, <laughs> hero is heroin not a thing anymore? I don't think so. Does, do they sell fentanyl by the ounce? I, I, yeah, definitely. How much does an ounce of fentanyl go for? I don't know. I don't know where it goes for in New York. He didn't say fentanyl, though. He said... Did he say did he say heroin? He said heroin, yeah, at the end. He said he's got a fucking big-ass bag of heroin. All right, here we go. Hold on. The only difference is I... No, he says dope. Dope. I have a pretty large bag of dope to try to dope. wean off of. I am... Almost back in the position of returning to the same routine. Routine. The amount of weird shit that has been happening is just too much. This has brought everything back into focus. As for, well, what? As far as I know, like fentanyl in New York is like fucking Pricey. very expensive comparatively to like Arizona or like fuck, you know. Dude, you an, get like an ounce. An, I mean, that's an just ounce, a lot. Yeah. It's a lot of drugs. Yeah. It just is. Um, Especially when he's down to a quarter ounce, he just goes quarter balls gram. quarter gram. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah, this guy just goes balls deep. I also don't understand. He he hooked up with his dealer, bought the ounce, and then his dealer just died. Died, huh? Yeah. Well, that happens. I, I wish he got it fronted. What? Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. would be the ultimate front, the gift that keeps on giving. Anyway, yeah. this has brought everything back into focus. It's strange knowing that I won't ever be seeing him again. I have a weird mixture of feelings about it because I'm happy. I know I don't have the temptation of contacting him anymore, but I'm also really bummed about his death. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles for Chris. 
and V. I guess V was his dealer. But that's a lot of fucking dope. To a lot pick. to have, yeah, dude. And it's, he's he's gonna run the bag out, obviously. What are you gonna do? We need closure on this. Yeah, we need. Yeah, we need to hear what happens. We want to know what happens when the bag's gone. Because if you hit the street and find a new dealer, it's it's wrap. You're done. You know. He kind of. You need to go away. Bro. Yeah. Need, you need to fucking go you away. You need to find salvation in Jesus. Well, or go to rehab <laughs> or do what you do. That's my whole my whole point is that well, you were just coming off of heavy drinking. Yeah. Getting off have... of fucking that shit is some other something. The fuck. I did it once. Kicked the cold turkey. I didn't stay off it, but I kicked it. Yo, you want to hear something else fucked up? Huh? There's like there's these two people in the audience. Named, uh. uh Courtney and Sean. OK. OK. Courtney has been listening to the show for fucking ever. Mm-hmm. Sean, I don't know when he started listening to mm-hmm. the show. Uh, Sean is relapsing on fentanyl. I think Courtney was relapsing on something too. And Mm. they wanted to call me on the phone and tell me their stories. And Mm. I'm like, just send in a fucking voicemail. Send in a voicemail. Leave me alone. I got kids. You got a fucking life. You ain't got time for me. It's fucked up. Well, I have Jen. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Don't get crazy. (laughs) Um, Now, so I, I, I like Courtney's writing me, Nora's at her first swim. Uh, oh, swim meet Really Courtney's like I want to tell you About doing speed balls I'm like oh. I'm at my daughter's Swim meet I have fucking Stomach <laughs> times flu Times have changed Right Well thank god <laughs> Yeah But um Fucking I, I, I didn't I didn't I just said Send in a voicemail Send yeah. in a voicemail I responded to her messages On Instagram Then on Sunday She leaves me a voicemail Sobbing no. That Sean OD'd and no. died And I'm like fuck. fuck So now I'm like I gotta call her now oh, fuck. So I call her She's hysterical In the hospital oh, And I'm shit. like Are you sure he's dead She's like I did CPR For an hour oh. I heard the death rattle oh. The the hot, the ambulance came Yeah he's I, I went behind the, the, the ambulance They didn't have the lights on He's dead I was like Did they not tell you He died They're like They didn't talk to me I was like I bet you he's not dead and she's like, he's dead, he's dead. And I'm like, and what am I going to say? I'm sorry for your loss. Yeah, this is yeah, horrible. Yeah, yeah, I wish yeah. I had spoken to him. Yeah, Whatever. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. What am I going to say? Yeah, yeah. Then, of course, no. I go to the, I go to fucking Corey Beach. I tell him, oh, this guy I know, he's dead. No. Blah, blah, blah. Come home, he's alive. No. He sends in the voicemail. You want to hear the voicemail? Yeah, let's right. hear what Sean's got to say. Let's hear. Hey, it's Sean. I know Courtney has told you a lot about me. Um, I know she mentioned my recent episode in Vegas. Where I did OD. Um, I guess I'm supposed to be leaving a message, so I'm doing so. That's my first experience ODing myself, although I have saved many people from ODing. Um, never done it myself until the other day. Well, yeah. Um, I guess we'll talk to you soon. Wow, sounds pretty good for a dead dude. He sounds like a very sweet guy. Yeah, sounds Hello, like a great guy. Sean. <laughs> My first overdose. What was your worst overdose? Oh, fuck. I'm not even sure if I've really had... I don't even know because I don't remember any of them, you know? I've never been to the hospital. Oh, you know what? When I was fucking going to Florida... When I was flying from Florida to California, fucking um, insurance scam, body broker, fucking... I was like, fuck it. I'm going to get fucking lit, right? So I left one spot in Florida and this all stemmed from fucking getting busted and then not having any money after I spent everything. And then my lawyer's telling me you need a completion letter for treatment, blah, 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 blah. I was like, fuck that. Why, why do I got to go to treatment? At first, I, I didn't even know I was a drug addict. Real, real life. I, I mean, I knew it, but like I didn't really know what like a 
what well, that was Well, the like. drug addicts that you knew were like the people who kept you in money. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And they were always begging for drugs. And yeah, you yeah. weren't in that it situation. It was different. Yeah, yeah. But then I got in that situation pretty fucking quick, dog. You know? I was like, <laughs> I was fucked after right. a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And I fucking, I'm flying to California. And I'm like, fuck it. I'm just going to get fucking lit. I was in Florida. But I was like the best fucking drugs, like. Fucking the best, dude. These Haitian dudes just fucking got in it. In California, down there. no, in, in Florida. Florida. Yeah, yeah so they got they some at? fucking awesome drugs down there. Like they got the fucking. Uh, so I'm fucking at a Wawa down there, and I fucking, shout out to Wawa. Shout out big shout out to Wawa, dude. We need some of those, but uh, I fucking grab a. Uh, I think it was like a capsule. They do it in capsules down there, like little pill capsules, you know. So like it's twenty dollars for a capsule, or like six for a hundred. Fentanyl. It was yeah. This is probably fentanyl. Yeah, this one was definitely fentanyl, but it was like kind of switchy. It was like at that time, you know, it was probably like Heavy four years ago, for bucks? Three, uh, two two years ago. Two, one capsule. Yeah, one capsule. How loaded are they? I think they're like probably point one or point two or so something. So you dump it out and you shoot it, or you smoke you it. Dump it out. Okay. Shoot it, smoke it, fucking snort it, whatever you want to do. What'd you do? I was fucking banging this bad boy. You know what I'm saying? Because because I, I was going on a plane. You know. You had to get. You so had to, I had to, right? Yes. Power, I power, fucking, pack the power punch. You yes. know. So I fucking, dude. This is like I'm at on the side of the Wawa. This I guess this is my worst fucking chicks. I don't remember a damn thing. I fucking, I uh. Blast that shit off. Boom, bro. KO. Wake up. No no idea. KO. Wake up in the hospital. Oh, fuck. What the fuck? You know, they're like, oh, we fucking Nar- Narcan, blah, blah, blah. We did all shit. I'm like, fuck this shit. I'm leaving, bro. I'm fucking leaving. They're like, you don't even have any of your shit. I was like, I don't have shit. I don't even think I had a phone. Like, I didn't have anything, bro. I was like, what the fuck? I'm- Nobody came for you. Yeah, no. You're just there. I, exactly. I'm like, fuck this shit. I'm out. I fucking leave, bro. I get a... a I get to borrow someone's phone because I had the number of the dude that was flying me out to Florida. I'm flying me to California. And I was like, oh, fuck. Um, Where did you have the number? What? Where did you have In my pocket. That's the one thing I had. It's like on a piece of paper in your pocket. Yes. It's like, I just need to call this man so he'll fly me to California. I actually think, no, no, no. I I used the hospital phone to call him first. And you had no money. What? No, I was was tanked. I was cased. I might have had like whatever. Not, Not enough to fucking do anything cool, you know? So I fucking, I was cased. And that was the end of your Florida time. Yeah. Where yeah, were it you was, staying? It How was like it? the beginning. And I was, you know what's fucked up is because I was always like, for for years I've been like back and forth there, like to Florida or California anyway, you know, for other fucking things, for, for drug dealing, you know? So like I, I was back and forth regardless. But this is like the end of my like time where I was broke and fucking penniless and fucking addicted to drugs you know so i that was after the bust yeah okay yeah 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 that was like the gold selling trip yeah yeah yeah, yeah, all that shit happened then yeah yeah, all that shit happened then no gold selling was before i got busted gold was part of the 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 the, that was like yeah 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 that was like that era so why did you go to florida after the bust in the first place i don't know i think i was trying to fucking get right bro i was trying to fucking get off of drugs you know because i got fucked up in new york and i was like yo fuck this i know a lot of people in florida that do it who'd you stay with that get clean in florida i went to a detox i forget Uh, where i went okay but i went to a detox because i know a lot of people do it down there you know sure i I detoxed there once yeah exactly and i was like fuck it i can do it i got fucking kicked out of every place on fucking Long Island after like a day so I'm a fucking yes. rambunctious asshole, you yes. know? So I fucking went down to Florida and, oh yeah, so I banged that. So I get out of the hospital. I call him from the hospital phone. I call him again. He gets me an Uber, right? And I've got a big, I stopped at like a Wawa again or a seven something. I had a big ass cup, right? 
and I'm still like fucked up from like the Narcan, I guess. So the dude's like driving. He keeps on looking at his rear view. He's like, "Bro, you all right? Like, you all right?" I'm like, "Fuck, dude. I don't. Yeah, I'm good. I'm good." You're I like remember still ODing yeah, past the Narcan, up, right? Yeah, dude. I fucking. But then I dumped the fucking uh the drink out the window. It's a big ass one of those big ass drinks. I just start barfing in it, mad. Like inconspicuously, like like, like he's like looking back in I'm the like, cup in the like, back yeah, of the Uber. Good dude. Oh my god! Literally filling the fucking cup up. That was like an OD. That was fucked. I think, but it's fucked up because I don't remember. But you know what? I'm an angel because I've saved mad motherfuckers. I've From saved OD. yeah, what saved was the, what mad was the best of them. rescue. The best, yo. One time, also in Florida, I'm with this chick Kate, and uh. She used to fuck. I used to sell her shit, and she would fucking do it. I remember fucking, this name. She, yeah, you do. She'd fucking die all the time. Not die, but she'd fucking oh, go gee. blank all the fucking time, right? All the time. So, and I just fucking bring her back real quick. Blah blah blah. How We're would you bring her back? I fucking CPR. Fucking really? You're just CPRing her I'm all CPR the time. You know where I learned CPR from? The office. And they go ah ah ah. Uh, really? Around. I don't even know if that's real, but it works. That's hysterical. That's why you want to be a doctor. That's a it. <laughs> yeah. saving, saving lives. I'm a fucking eight, bro. I must have saved it. I can't even count how many times I've saved this chick. I really can't. Where I, is I've she saved now? Other people. I have no idea. When's the last time Shout you heard out from to her? Kate. No idea. <laughs> it's it, been it's been a while. It's been a long time, years. But um, she fuck. Uh, and we're with this other kid who's sober and was about to take her to treatment that I know. Because when you're in a, that circle down there, you know a lot of the same people. I sell a lot of people drugs, whatever. I fucking go to take her. She, she goes and gets high one last time, and she drops, right? And this kid's freaking out. I'm like, bro, it's cool. Like, she does this all the time. We're going to bring her back. Just chill the fuck out. He's like, dude, she's dying. She's blue in the lips. I'm like, yeah, bro, she's always blue in the lips, bro. She'll snap out of it, blah, 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 blah. I start doing the fucking CPR. She's not coming back. Not, <laughs> not coming back at all, bro. I'm like. I'm like listening. I'm like blowing. Him out. I'm like staying alive. Like, yo. Doing the thing. I'm like, what the fuck? So now I'm like, oh shit! Like, this, she, she might die. Yo, right? she's not coming back, bro. Right. She's not coming back. So we fucking. So now he's freaking the fuck out because he's sober. You know, I don't even think he did heroin or whatever. You know, you was, were high. Well, yeah, I was chilling. Uh, but at first I was cool with it, but then I was like, I was like, oh, I'll fucking bring her back in like a minute, you know. <laughs> but I'll put her in the back yeah, till later. Yeah, yeah. But she was really dying, so we take her to the fucking hospital. Oh my god! And she's fucking flatlined, I guess, at the hospital. Then they Narcan the fuck out of her, whatever. She's like, when she came back, she's like, because she was dead. She was like actually dead, you know. When she came back, she's like, my eyes opened, and I was hearing shit. But I couldn't fucking move or say a word for like the first minute That's of crazy. her being like back That's alive. Crazy. Fucking nuts, right? That's crazy. See, my only OD, like I don't even remember. It was like the first time I, I you did this shot, shit. The first time somebody shot me up, it was this girl that uh, and she shot me up with some major. How shot. old were you? I was like 25. Yeah. It was like maybe tw 25 and she was an editor mm -hmm. and, uh, on a TV show and, and, and I knew she was doing dope and she didn't know that I was doing dope mm. and I was like, I know your secret. Kind yeah, of yeah, 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 yeah. And yeah, then she yeah. hooked me up with this with this very, now he's famous drug dealer on Dopey, Tony Baloney. Shout out to Tony. And he had the fire fucking dope and she shot me up. Is he sober? Tony Baloney? Yeah. Who knows? He's probably with Kate someplace. Oh, where? Who knows? Yeah, who fucked I off. Mean, yeah, who knows yeah. what happened to Tony Baloney? But he had really great heroin. And she dragged me. She was big. She yeah. was like, 
huge, thick lady. Big, yeah, strong. She's very strong. Strong. And beautiful. Beautiful, yeah. strong. And Serena she, Williams. She'd be like a white Serena white Williams. White Serena, yeah. She, and covered with tattoos. <laughs> and she dragged me to the bathtub and she just she just slapped the shit slapped out of me, the fuck turned out on the cold water and I woke up. Oh, it's it was solid. no big thing. Yeah, no big thing you know? at all. And, and I think I probably OD'd a bunch of times, but I wasn't like, I, yeah, it wasn't, it just yeah. went out. And yeah, I came and then back. came back. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So your our OD stories are bad, but there was a point, mm-hmm. and the point is, first of all, that I'm happy Sean didn't die. Yeah, shout out to Sean. And and, and Courtney, she's you know she she I don't know she says she's not using, the anybody out there who's using who's ODing who survives an OD, mm-hmm. take a moment, Sean, if you're listening, reflect. <laughs> you, and you you survived uh, a few ODs, yeah. and here you are alive and sober thirty eight days without a program. Yep. And I've survived a, probably one and a couple ODs, and couple, here I am. A couple. Here, here we are. <clears throat> so I just want to make a nice message to the Dopey Nation, saying if you've survived, like, live, mm-hmm. enjoy. You have a robust message of if hope. If you for see the something, Nation. say something. That's your no, robust no, no. message of hope. What's your robust <laughs> message of hope? Um. Don't do drugs and stay in school is, is good. Is it hard for you to be positive about sobriety? Yes. Is it uncomfortable for you? Sometimes. But yes. think about how much better your life it is. It is a lot. No, no, it is, but it's also not. I'm, when you think like that, yeah, yeah. It's hard for me to say it out loud, but I feel it, you know? I know. You wouldn't be doing what you're doing. I feel it. It is. It's so much better on the other side. All right. Well, I think, I think that's the robust message that's of hope message, right? that I wanted to convey before we ended. My dad is probably... Leaving Antarctica right about now. What? On his way back from Tierra del Fuego. Oh, Tierra del Fuego. Shit. The end of the earth. Really? He sailed with his lady friend from Argentina to uh, Antarctica. No way. Yup. And back. Holy shit. Shout out to George Clooney. Do you know what uh, Europeans call Orangina? Orangina? They call it Orangina. <laughs> what the fuck is Orangina? Wow, Orangina was a really refreshing orange soda, carbonated orange drink. Orangina. And they say Orangina. Orangina. All right, that's the end of the show, Jack. Listen, we didn't get to the emotional email. Oh, yeah. But no, we can't do it now. No, good. I don't even want to hear that shit. You don't want to hear it. Oh, I don't want to hear that shit at all. It's coming. Next week, it's coming. Now, the question is, Jay, there's another classic, classic dopey debauched fucking shit so i uh, appreciate that fuck yeah thank you for that thank you now this thing is happening mm-hmm. you know and i'm i'm milking the end of fentanyl j yep. on dopey yeah, and then even if you don't go you got a home here yeah, yeah of course. Uh, but but uh i want you to start doing some fucking documentation yep document my friend document document and if you ca- i gave uh jay the stephen king on writing i read book. it i read Two pages already. Because I, I think that it will help you. And if you if you can't get it into your head, listen to it. Listen. Listen to it. Big shout out to Alan. Did you have a good time? I had a great time, Davey. We'll do it again next week. On God willing. The Dopey Show. All right. All right. And we want to thank Aaron Carr. She was on the show. And Chris Spelina, the jam band junkie. Jam band. All right. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Thank you, Fentanyl J. And fucking toodles for Chris. Toodles. Uh, I'm gonna play this song, but only because uh, I think it's gonna make me look a little bit more tired. I'm just gonna do it.
see my shadow getting smaller It's hiding where I stand I can feel my shadow getting smaller
song, but only because uh, I think it's a big deal.